good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A. We are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Come surround me in stormy weather. Stormy weather. It always surrounds me. Greetings and welcome back, Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts. Justin, Fake, Shimp, Gerber, and we are back for part two of our coverage of The Evil Dead, directed by the great Sam Raimi. That's right. Way too much information to throw into one episode. We had to break it up into two, but we've got a lot more to talk about. If you have not listened to our first episode, what the fuck? Are you going to subscribe <laughs> to on, us? Come on, get with it. <laughs> Did you click a link? Get, get, get on top of this. Subscribe to us if you haven't already. And of course, that first episode, over two hours about our, our personal experiences with the Evil Dead film, as well as the history between the relationship of Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi and company, the pre-production of Evil Dead, the production of Evil Dead, the post-production of Evil Dead, and now we're going to be talking about everything that's to do within the film itself that we, the Halloweenies, have watched that made sense, right? None of that was written down, by the way, folks. No, so no, that was great. That. Pretty good. Pretty, I Amazing. Pretty well. pretty I, I think in, in Evil Dead fashion, we should just rehash everything that just happened in the first episode, in the first yeah, 20 minutes it, of but this. You know, it, would be, it would just be me, yeah. it would just be me and Vanderbilt. <laughs> like Mike Vanderbilt and I set out to record an episode. And then yeah. 10 minutes later, Vanderbilt's dancing around with his shirt off, and then we cut to this. Now we're here. Yeah, yeah. We're going to keep going. But let's introduce ourselves for those of us who are just joining us, let's start off with somebody who is, he's in the, he's in the same state, but he's a little further south. And who is that person? I should be more specific. <laughs> Not my brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mike, best bartender in Chicago 2021, according to the Chicago Reader Poll, Vanderbilt, coming at you live this beautiful, chilly March morning. Much like it was chilly on the set of Evil Dead mm. in production and. Uh, November of 1979. <laughs> and finally wrapped production sometime in 1980. <laughs> At some point in the next four years. Somebody finally saw it around 83, I guess. Maybe it came out. Who knows? Uh, now let's go to the other person who is... Let me, get my ge- let me get my geography straight here, where I'm looking. He is southeast of me at this moment in time. <laughs> and who is that? I mean, should be more specific. My brother. <laughs> to say, I was like, we're all here in Chicago. I know. <laughs> I'm literally thinking about. I'm looking at. I'm looking north as we speak. <laughs> this is Wolfman Macronomicon Gerber, 
And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here on the second episode of the first The Evil Dead <laughs> coverage. It's so complicated. The second episode of Evil Dead 1, not, not part two, Evil Dead 1. Right. And wrapping it all up, he is located no less than east of me. Yes, this, this is uh, live from Wrigleyville or Southport Quarter, which I like to call. This is Michael Maniac Ash Rothman. And I should note that that Maniac Ash was my username on moviemaniacs.net. So I felt it was, in, it was imperative that I use it here on Halloweenies finally. So very excited to talk about uh, The Evil Dead uh, again. <laughs> and, uh, keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Well, what better way to start off? And by answering some questions that I've personally had over the years, most notably the question, why does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me here, are you? Are you ass? (laughs) For this section, we're going to be talking about the music. And in some cases, the score or the songs that are found within Evil Dead and this music comes courtesy of the great Joe LaDuca, who I was very surprised to find did a lot of other movies and, and TV projects that I did not know he did, right. including all of the Ash-affiliated Evil Dead movies, and including Ash vs. Evil Dead, the Stars mm-hmm. TV show. He did most Sam Raimi-produced television projects, including Hercules and Xena, which, Rothman, you talked about a little bit in the last episode. A little bit. He did Brotherhood of the Wolf, which is an enduring uh, cult classic that I believe is still found on Shudder as of this recording on March 12th, 2022. He did the last two Chucky movies, including mm-hmm. the new TV series for Don Mancini. So it seems he's a new, he's a new Chucky staple over there. But I think most importantly, I think my brother Mac will agree, he was also responsible for the score and main title sequence to Leverage. Starring uh, some other people. I like how you left leverage to the, to the leverage end. Leverage last, baby. Great, I had, great theme I song. I had Chucky at the end. <laughs> I was going to yes. mention it, but yeah. I do like the opening little title credits for Chucky. Good music. Uh, on the Evil Dead, this is what Joe LaDuca had to say. I saw a very rough version of it, and I was called into their office next to a magic shop. I had a cup of freeze-dried coffee on a hot plate, and they said, Can you make scary sounds? I was like... Yeah, sure, I can do that. So I did a little demo, and then I had to figure out how to fit music to picture. That was the big learning experience. And this was a long time ago. So this was trying to work with a video cassette player that would not shuffle back and forth to where you wanted it to go, to write long, and to write little X's on paper where those things would happen in the film. It was a lot harder than it is now to do that. I believe it. But I think when I saw the final result on the big screen, I was hooked. I just thought, great. I think I'd really, really like to do this. It took a long time to get it going, but it worked out very, very well. And there was no way to know that Evil Dead was going to become this sort of classic cult movie. It was just a fun project that I said yes to. So LaDuca pulled off the score with just a few string players. There's obviously percussion, some keyboards to make some synth sounds. The reason that the, the music sounds so full at times is because sometimes it was double and triple tracked to make it sound like a full-blown orchestra and I did research on this. I, I could have sworn most of this was library music. Mm-mm. Not. It's yeah. actually an original score that he did for this movie. It's all him, except, of course, for the Charleston yeah. that plays on the possessed record player and during the closing credits. 
You know, I have some information about the Charleston. Please. Uh, yes, I knew somebody would, would come through with some Charleston. Finally, uh, we're going to break down the Charleston. I, yeah. <laughs> the, the music is by James P. Johnson, the quote-unquote father of stride piano. He played piano with Bessie Smith and Ethel Waters. Uh, the lyrics Two of my are, favorite uh, stride piano players. I figured. I knew that. <laughs> lyrics by Cecil Mack in May 1905. Mack ah, Mack, I think we've got your new nickname. Gotham, Gotham Atticus Music Publishing Company in New York City. It's considered the first black-owned music publishing company. Wait, wait, Mac, any other information, or did I actually run through everything here pretty well? Pretty much realized. ran through everything I had done research on, but I will say... <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I was like, I'm now, you know, it's funny, everybody at home, I, I was like, I looked at Mac a couple of days ago, and I was like, hey, you think you can handle the music section? And then I found something, I just went, oh, this is everything, so I just copied and pasted it. So as I'm reading all of this, well, I realized... Oh, I think I probably asked Mac to do literally all this. <laughs> I will say, other than uh, you, you are right. He got about five string players, and then he layered everything to make it sound yeah. more full. It was it was his first score, and I agree with you. Justin and I would keep talking. We would we would notoriously talk about this as being mostly like temp music, but I think maybe we had read once that Sam Raimi used temp music to score mm-hmm. the film early on, and then obviously was replaced with Joe Laduca's score. The song, the only other thing that I have is that the song that Shelly and Scott sing that you opened up the first episode with mm-hmm. called Word Back Here. And it was, Wait, what's it called again, Mac? I think it's Word Back Here. Okay. And it was originally, it was actually written by Bruce Reynolds in 1972 about his friend, Jerry Prager. And Jerry Prager taught the song to Sam Raimi, I believe at camp. <laughs> and... Then Sam Raimi ah. taught it to them. I was really trying hard to figure out what's like, why isn't this it's, song It is hard up? to find out. You found out more than I did, to That's be honest good. about I, that. Because I have it credited to, and I think in the script it's credited to, which is a fake band, Old Baby Moses and the Thrillers. Now that, And that now was that, possibly, yeah, what's that? That is the band name that was given to uh, Raimi and all the guys when they were like, coming up with stuff for just playing stuff on, on the set or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, Damn, there um, we go. just kind of like for fun. Um, and then they also played, I think a song at like a special convention or something. <laughs> then they went, I'd love to hear name. the full version of that song. Yeah. What um, a great song it is. But you know, yeah. And then I had that the jazz time, the jazz ragtime track, um, Charleston, whatever was also, I had it credited to an Eric Markman. But uh, yeah, some of that stuff. Was, well, it's possible that's the version that's that was we thought written by you know. Yeah, and I think that's also why we thought some of this stuff wasn't done, and I think just because of the string element of the film for such a low budget movie, we just thought, no, oh, there's no way they got someone to actually come in and score this with strings. You know, you just think they got an actual composer to come in and write this music, and it's pretty great because it's a great it's a great marriage of strings and. You know the sense. Like I love that cue when the yeah. when Ash runs from the front door to the back door to, yep. to lock it, uh, and then all of a sudden that weird synth comes in. Yeah. <laughs> You're just I like took... it's such a weird marriage, but like it works for the film. And 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 where films were mired in synth scores, I think the 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 sparsity, the sparseness of the of the synths in this make that those moments work. And, uh, but I do love the the strings, uh, um, and I've got more to say about the expanded score. Uh, but I'll let Mike, we'll definitely talk about that Mike in jump in. He he wanted to say something. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of, again, it's like that crossroads between the 70s and 80s for us, right? Because the strings are so prevalent in a lot of the 70s scores, and you can kind of see that here. The thing that I, I find interesting is that, like, it, it kind of has like a, like, because he, he's, you know, Loduka, uh, Lo, yeah, Loduka started out as a guitarist, you know, when he was, when he was doing it, and he was studying at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So I feel like he has a lot of, like, maybe some like rock roots in here. Cause like even the piano reminds me of the doors. If you mm. listen to like the, the track, yes, the river knows, which is, I believe off of waiting for the sun. I should have looked that up, but I think it's waiting for the sun. It is so startlingly similar to the, the, the piano melodies that are in this, that mm. I wondered if he was kind of pulling from that a little bit. This is, this is something I was thinking of while watching it last night. Doesn't the, the sort of pleasantries at the end, when the, he gets out of the cabin and morning hits, it sounds a lot like the ending of Jaws, the, the music. <laughs> and then yeah, when yeah, the, that, the tones yeah. of that. And then when the ominous thing comes in, it reminds me of sort of like uh, the ending of Dawn of the Dead, where it has that sort of like very, because the ending of Dawn of the Dead has a triumphant music, but then it hammers it back in. Where the it's mall like, music. Where it's like, nope, the, they, you know, the zombies are still here. The end of the world is still here. And I feel like Loduka does the same thing with that because then it oh, you know yeah. it kind of fools you at the end a little bit so i i, I like that and, I, and I, I wondered if you know like the guys making this movie taking some notes from old things i wonder if you know if the roots were in that because they are so strikingly similar those are the, the two things i always pulled from it well i, I think uh, when i think about the music of this movie i think of, first of all like the little whenever something's really about to hit the fan i'm assuming that's just fucking around with violin strings there if not like piano chords but there's also that great love theme Mm-hmm. That which is chilling too. Especially as it called, builds up. I, I think it's called I Games. I Games, mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite John Lennon songs. Also, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about the I stuff later on I as know. we go through it. But um, you know, Mike, you mentioned Joseph Laduca maybe having some rock roots. Well, he is a guitar player by trade, and you can go on YouTube right now and listen to his 1982 album Glisten, mm. which kind of has a new agey your moods kind of vibe Ooh. to it. Sad. Um, and as far as, and there was an, something in the, that Cinefantastique on Army of Darkness about Joseph Leduca's score. He says that after the success of this movie, most synthesizers will have an Evil Dead knob, like it'll call it Evil Dead knob, like they'll just Evil Dead sound. And I cannot find any photographs of that. So if anybody can confirm or deny this, I would love to see that. And I had a question for everybody because I know mine. What? Well, first I wanted to say the thing I like about the score, to all of your points, is that it is a synthesizer score. And yes, it adds the strings, but it doesn't play like a synthesizer score. It Mm-mm. they use it like an orchestral score, not like a synthesizer score. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like the way John Carpenter kind of it's more like long droney things, it's gothic it's more hits. And my favorite uh, cue is when that cellar door swings mm-hmm. open. For the first time, and 100%. I was wondering mm. what everybody else's were. That, that's mine, Mike. Yeah. And Vanderbilt, that goes back to the first episode where obviously Evil Dead 2 is considered the comedy, but there's still a lot of fun elements in that. And that is the ultimate classic haunted house trope of the door swinging open and the big. Dun, dun, dun. It's right out of a hammer it's, movie. Exactly. Yes. That's like the you expect fun, Christopher Lee still, to come out of there. It's well, even still the melody a fun is. Time, you know, the melody- I mean, as violent as this movie is and as serious as the people involved are taking it it's still a fun movie and that's one of the great elements of that i love that that because it's louder than most of the 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 hits in the movie yeah like it almost overtakes it all 
My favorite cue is probably the Scotty scare. The the just like slam on the keys, like oh, and then God. it goes right into that that uh, the string music again. But also, uh, probably when Scotty's first investigating the cabin, that that piano tinkling that's playing mm. just while he's wandering around the cabin in the work shed alone. Well, it uh, sounds like water dripping, which is actually happening at that time too. You well, know? That, and there's an important distinction to be said that the sound of Evil Dead is separate from the score because the 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 sound design for Evil Dead was really intricately designed by Joe Maysfield. Another Joe. He was, doing, he, was the, he was the supervising sound editor. He was an old school New Yorker who Bruce Campbell said he lived on a diet of cornbread muffins and coffee. Hey, not a bad diet, to be honest that with you. sounds him. absolutely like my biggest nightmare. I love it. I love, I love cornbread. Cornbread and, and I love, coffee? Oh, yeah. I, was, I would so eat bad. that every day. Well, the cornbread would soak up the coffee enough where you weren't just, it wasn't just going right through you. <laughs> yeah, right. Ugh. So here's the thing with that is that... Uh, they were really, he was really intricate. In fact, like Campbell says that he was like, an, it was like anal about it. So I think a lot of those sounds that we're talking about here, like come from this. And those were, it, they basically treated the sound design in this movie like fully artists. So they had like, they brought in like uncooked chickens, meat cleavers, turkey basters, walnuts, a nutcracker, celery. Most of the pounded flesh stuff was just like a turkey baster, which was like with blood squirting and gurgling. Um, the the walnuts and the celery were like for broken appendages. And it, it's kind of just crazy just how like intricate they got because it got to the point where like, I guess Sam and Bruce were like, all right, we're out of here. And they like left them to his design. And then that's it when they ran. It took years. They're like, I'm done with this fucking He was thing. like, I'm, I'm fucking so over tired. this. But apparently during that time, they ran into Brian De Palma, who was also at that same facility doing work for Blowout. Speaking of sound design. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he was just, I, I just imagine Joe just with a you know, pencil uh, trying to re If Travolta's it. character is looking for the perfect scare or the perfect scream, why did he reach out to somebody in this movie? Yeah, that's true. You should have. I think you have found some couple of good ones. You know, speaking of all those sound effects, I can't find it. I wasn't able to find a clip, but Bruce Campbell showed up on Jay Leno to promote Briscoe County Jr. and had him recreate all of those sound effects live. They had him biting into celery and like chopping a uh, big raw chicken. And I'm sure you know it's what? out there somewhere. Yeah, Bruce, you know, we, we, we're a big horror fan here at the Tonight Show. Um, why, don't you, why don't you do some of these uh, No, these he's probably more like this. You know, I'm so detached from anything pop culture. I just show up on the set after I drive my cars all day and uh, <laughs> you know, I talk a little bit about the Evil Dead. What the hell is that all about? Hey, let's talk about that Delta that's, uh, you know, outside the, the, the cabin. <laughs> that's a good car there. Oh, <laughs> bringing it back to someone we want to talk about <laughs> well let's talk about mac i want you to be involved in this because this is actually pretty fascinating and i feel kind of bad for you because uh decades later joe laduca worked out a completely new <laughs> score for this movie not right. just like updated or you know same arrangements but no a brand new score now we knew about this but Mac, talk about your experience of not knowing you were about to what you were about to hear when you went to go see The Evil Dead a couple of years ago. Please, please, I, I leave the floor to you. Yeah. So back in 2018, I just saw that The Evil Dead was playing at the Music Box Theater, and I was like, "Oh yes, got to get tickets." Also, uh, you know, I was going with someone who hadn't seen it, so I was really excited to show it to them. I had no clue <laughs> that this was Joe LaDuca's new reimagined score. Now, what he wanted to do was go back and, well, I've got a quote from him. He says, Evil Dead was my first film commission. 
As fate would have it, this is the movie that has the most enduring impact on generations of fans. Every few years, I get a request to release the score, and my response is the same. I own the score, but not the recording rights, which I always thought was kind of strange. Uh, So he said, so when I was last approached to reissue the score, I asked myself this question, knowing what I know now, how would I write for that ensemble today? That I'm happy that I did it. Welcome to my nightmare reimagined. And that is out there and you can purchase it and listen to it. The film I got to watch with the new score and it's interesting. What he did was he went back and used only the elements that he had um, available to him. Like he did, he had five string players again and he still used synths and piano and whatever, but he only used that to score, to rescore it now knowing how, you know, what he has, you know, years and years and years of experience it's an interesting score. I think it's really hard. It's kind of like, you know, it's like Justin said, like when they released the show, The State from MTV, but now it doesn't have any of the original music, you know, like the Guns N' is, you know, there's a, there's a, a sketch with Slash and it's all about Guns N' Roses, you know, and, and there's no Guns N' Roses music in it. <laughs> you know, it's like it changes the entire thing. It's still fun to hear the score, but... I'm just so in love with the original score. It was really hard to get past it. I think if I listened to it on its own, it might be a different experience. But it for me, it was it just wasn't. I don't think anybody was clamoring for a new score. But it is really fun to see someone go back and revisit their very first score and say, "Okay, if I now I know how to do this, I'm going to go back and do this." The way that maybe I I I should have. I, um, I will say, making a strange bit of irony, and I did some research on this. When Ash leaves the cabin at the very end, mm-hmm. they actually do play the Yub Yub song that was taken out of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> oh, so that wow. was interesting. That was pretty cool. At least at least they finally found a home in this revamp oh, score. Oh my god, I but need to make said, that happen for social media. But Joe, <laughs> oh Joe, Vanderbilt, you've oh, got yeah, to Vanderbilt's going to do it. it the, the, you've got to do the quiet moments before he opens the door, included, and all of a sudden, Yub Yub. But now there were, there were some elements that he decided to keep just because they were like charming, uh, and that he just wanted to keep them in there. Uh, but also he, he said this, he said, sometimes going small and being intimate and scary is better than going big. Wow. Isn't that, (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree. So Mac, I do have a question from where you can remember. Yeah. Because I know you said he kept some of the score in there. Did he keep the the Ash Linda or the I? Was it called I Games? Did he keep that music in there, or is that gone? I'm really racking my brain. I wanted to listen to it before we did this episode, but oh, I, by I the way, everybody, it is, you, you can find it on YouTube. Just Google or just put in YouTube Joe Laduca read just or whatever you, you can find it. Folks. It's cool. A this nightmare is an amateur hour here. You know how to Google it, things and go on YouTube. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really fun, but it is. It's just not the original. It sounds to me, Mac, it's a fun... If I knew I was going into it, it sounds like a fun curiosity. Absolutely. But if I Absolutely. didn't know I was going into and I was trying to introduce somebody to the Evil Dead, I would have been <laughs> a little disappointed. That that was the, the that was the thing for me. I was trying to introduce someone to it, and I couldn't... It didn't have any of the stings or the things that that really make it Evil Dead for me. And uh, and I was just kind of like, oh, that just doesn't land the same without this weird effect or this or, you know, so. Uh, but if you're just if you know what you're getting into, it is a fun watch. It is fun to see someone go back. And, it's you know, it's not someone else doing it. It's the original guy. That's true. At least it wasn't like taken away from him or something like that. Just you know? as long as they give you both versions, right? Yeah. 
That's a real trick. Isn't that the key for everything? Yeah, it's true. It's like the original version's there. It's this isn't like you know George Lucas you know hoarding the originals and not letting anybody see the original cuts of (laughs) Star Wars. The HBO Max version for all those people out there. And by the way, you'll need to have HBO Max to watch Evil Dead Rise later this year. (laughs) Uh, It does have the original score intact, so they didn't they didn't fuck with it or anything like that. But does it have the uh, you know they they went and Lucas did a little bit more. They took out, I think it's Rob Tapert hanging out on the side of the bridge. Matt Gerber. Oh, so that is something that I noticed that when I, so I have the, I have the old book of the dead. I'm holding it right now. Oh. The, the old DVD that it. came out, yeah. and I watched this version the other day. Uh, and honestly, I kind of like watching this version the best because it is kind of still not clean, clean, clean. And I noticed we noticed that when we were watching it th- that. I think it's actually, I want to say it might be Sam Raimi, but it might be Tapper. But when the car starts to go over the bridge, you see someone standing there just off to the right. But on the HBO cut, it's gone. Interesting. So I was curious if, if for the 4K restoration, they went in and kind of cleaned up a little bit of those yes. snafus and things. I know they did because they also fixed the moon. Yeah, the moon moon. looks different on the DVD. I watched the same one that Mm. you were just holding, Mac, last night, and like you do see the mat of the the moon on there. Yeah, I will say though, and I I was concerned, concerned trolling, no doubt, when they announced like the restoration of Texas Chainsaw Massacre a few years ago, as well as Evil Dead, because for me it was like you know I always loved the way how um, the documentary feel, the kind of cheaper feel that those movies had. But honestly, I still. I think the movies work just as well as they did on VHS. You know, I mean, I too, still think they, they nothing was taken. It's not too clean where it's not as unsettling as it used to be for me, at least. Same, same, uh, or same thought process. Just I saw when I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they showed the 4K restoration at the drive-in up in Mount Prospect about four mm-hmm. or five years ago. It just allows you to see everything a little bit better. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it and I really I had that DVD that was the dupe of the old Pioneer Laserdisc. And I thought that was pretty clean. It's amazing what they did with that Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I do think it's better that way. Because like you said, it doesn't, it does not lose any of the transgressive elements of that documentary. feel. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Some of it did. I mean, those 4k, I'm just not a huge 4k fan in general, just because a lot of the televisions, even if you take the smoothing out, sometimes it just does give it that it gives it too much depth where, you know, I was watching, I was actually watching, um, I was watching private parts a couple of weeks ago and I just was on a, you know, high def TV cause I was at my dad's house and he had this moving off and everything. But even then I could still, it, it just looks to, you lose some of the sheen. And I just, I don't know. I feel like sometimes now, especially where we're at today, I don't really need it that clean again. I thought we did good with the DVD. I thought that was enough. Like, I don't you know, know if like, we need I to don't go have crazy. A 4k TV. So I wonder when I'm watching it, it's just HD. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if that might not. be a thing. Because I think, Mac, you, you do have a 4K. I've noticed sometimes, even if your motion smoothing is off, it is still a little too hard to describe It's hard to describe it. Like, well, your, your, eyes, your, uh, your eye is reading it a different <laughs> way. Well, it just feels like you're yeah. there. Almost. No, I, like, you could see the set, almost, like, sometimes. Hmm. My thing well, with that clean. is I love watching... If there's a movie that came out yesterday, like Dune, Yeah, watching that in 4K, sure. Because like it's it's just gorgeous, you know, and it's so clean and crisp, and I feel like I'm in a movie theater. But I do agree with you. I think sometimes, but that's why I watched my first rewatch was of the DVD because I feel like sometimes that's better. I mean, hell, if I had a VHS player, I would have found a got an old VHS and watched it because I just feel like some of these things 
and maybe we're just, you know, video files or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I do feel like, you know, watching it, if, if, if I was going to have someone watch this now, I'd say, go find a VHS player, go find an old VHS and watch it on VHS. On, on like a well, box Jesus TV Christ, that's a, real, that's a real task right there, though. Good luck. It is. Well, I mean, I'm I, just I tried saying, to buy one. Is, but, but the but, aspect ratio is correct because, I don't know, depending on who you ask, uh, Evil Dead should be projected in either full frame or that kind of one, not quite 185 to one, but I think the full frame way is the preferred way of the filmmakers, but I could be wrong on that. It didn't look like it was blown up, though. It looked like it was normal 185, but who knows? Because the DVD that I have, the Ultimate Collector's Edition, features a full-frame edition and a widescreen edition. Mm, interesting. Mm. Well, it still well, looks good in widescreen to me, I guess. I didn't, it didn't look weird. Robin, did you something to say? Well, I was just going to say, who knew uh, these 80-minute movies from the 70s and 90s would cause, or 70s and 80s would cause so much kerfuffle when it comes to the home video releases later on down the road i mean it's it's just funny i mean i i think about how many different versions there are out there of just halloween alone and we talked about it a lot on this podcast mm-hmm. and especially just, since those guys probably didn't even think about home video when they were making no, that movie they weren't thinking about getting it out there for once at all you mm-hmm. know? no so i don't know it's just fun but all right well hey great score joe good job you did it yeah <laughs> great sound effects too the other Joe. You guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like calorie smart, protein plus, keto. Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always gonna have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want, it's effortless guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, it is time. It's been a long time coming, folks. We have got to talk about... Usually we just talk about all the characters at once here. Or specifically a villain. But we got to give time to our boy, Ash. We're going to be talking about Ash in every one of these movies. that Or projects that he's in, I should say. In a section that we are, of course, calling... Hail to the King, baby. Sure, I could have stayed in the past... Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. During the first episode, Rothman did a great job of really breaking down who Bruce Campbell was, right? So let's talk about, though, how he is as Ash in this movie. Because I think the, the thing that people think about with Ash is, is he's a superhero 
romantic novel cover ripped guy with a chainsaw. But right off the bat, do the three of you know how long a chainsaw appears in this movie? Mm, 20 seconds. seconds. <laughs> What'd you say, Rothman? 20 seconds. Vanderbilt, you said 30? 30. Mac? I'm going to price is right at 15. You see a, a the, the first time you see a chainsaw is when he re- tears off a sheet and then when he throws it down when he can't kill Linda, 32 seconds. There's only 32 <sighs> seconds of a chainsaw. Would I win? In this movie. Vanderbilt wins, yeah. You're closest and you didn't go over. And you win my undo, my undying respect. <laughs> with, a, with a sly whistle. Yeah, 32 seconds. So uh, let's talk about Ash Williams, who definitely evolves as a character <laughs> as these movies go on. Ruff, I think off mic, or maybe in your notes that I was kind of perusing through, you, you did make a good comp about the, the Scotty fake out. And that I don't think anybody watching this would say, oh, Ash is going to be the final person to survive, right? Well, it makes sense when you think about the final girl, right? Like mm-hmm. the final girl is usually the the more virginal character that's quiet, that's to a, you know to herself. And I, I I think when you think about Ash in this movie, he does fit those qualities. He's 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 got the he's the one with the heart, you know. He's the one that's a, the romantic, and he is a little you know he's certainly quieter than Scotty. I mean, Scotty's the one that's the that's going to go in the basement. It's going to make the jokes. It's going to make the pranks. He's going to be the one that goes out there to venture in the woods to try to help see how, seek help. And Ash isn't. Ash is kind of the more, I guess, for lack of a better word, pragmatic and just trying to be like, all right, let's just try to make sure our homestead is is fine and secure. And obviously, that's not the case of what we know of Ash. You know, today I'm literally staring at an 18 inch Army of Darkness. <laughs> figure where he you know he has a fucking chainsaw for a hand and his shirt is ripped and he's got muscles <laughs> that's what i'm like, talking about yeah. it looks like indiana jones from temple of doom i you know i i do appreciate this origin for him because it, it does set the template i mean it kind of builds upon the final girl mythos but it's the final guy and like you know it, it's it's weird to say oh we don't see enough men in horror movies these days but you really don't see a lot of male heroes in horror movies which is one of the reasons why i think evil dead is so iconic too because He's this, the, the, you know, the Freddy or the Michael in this is the hero and he's yep. Ash. And that's such a weird 182 or subversion of the genre itself. But I think it all has its roots in the final girl formula. And Mac, this is another 182 from Within the Woods, right? Because Within the Woods, there is a final girl and it's Ellen. Right. Who, who plays which, the is, final girl, right? which is another kind of fake out. Because I feel like, like Mike was saying, if you go into this movie and you're thinking final girl... I would think Cheryl would be the final absolutely. girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, totally. And she's the first to turn. And so it's such a total like mind fuck when that happens. They use that I, a little I, bit and, later and then on. Also, you know, multiple times in this movie, Ash is just sitting there in shock. Mm-hmm. And not at all the person you think's going to survive the night. It's incredible. And then also, I think I think something I also go back to this like you have all the like Michael Myers. You have Freddy. You have you know uh, the Ghost Face. You have Friday. You know uh, Friday the Thirteenth. You have Friday the Thirteenth to quote. <laughs> Robin's <laughs> Halloween. I mean, Vanderbilt's Halloween. But this movie, you have like essentially like the the three witches, right? I mean, and, you know, you have Scotty, but like the villains who I think are terrifying, terrifying are yeah. the three women of, of this piece, you know, and, and the formidable demons, you know. I mean, I mean, I know they're possessed, but. <laughs> 
Uh, I wish they had. And bitches are witches, man. Bitches are witches. That's each of the witches. I wish they all each had Gondarian names, (laughs) like separate names to know who they were, (laughs) like as the demons. I want to give the demon credit as well. (laughs) Well, Vanderbilt, you know, I think when you look, when you think back on Bruce Campbell, much like you think of Ash as his giant, super larger than life superhero, even now, it's hard to think of Bruce Campbell other than this. And I say this with all due affection, of course, like kind of like hammy guy. You know, larger than life actor, larger than life Hollywood guy, because he's anything but in this movie, and it's pretty. Wild I don't think to go anybody back and watch him in this. Only thing that maybe kind of gives away that he might be the survivor is that weird little shot of him looking directly in the camera mm-hmm. when in they're the on the bridge. You know what I'm talking yeah, I about? <laughs> like it's just it, that smooth look. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I think it's from a cut scene where they are all drinking uh, moonshine or something. Mm-hmm. So they're all yeah. supposed to be they're all supposed to be drunk. Now here's a yeah. question though. Uh, the ash that eventually happens. Can we put him in the category of like film bro dudes where you're not supposed to idolize him, but you do like, uh, I saw a stupid meme going around that that's the new thing for with Robert Pattinson's Batman joining that, you know, sitting alongside uh, Christian Bale and American psycho. And um, who's the big one? Travis Bickle and Cliff Booth. Oh, is, I see what you're Ash, saying. Yeah. I'm sure he'd be lumped. Uh, yeah, the Joker. I mean, the Joker, yeah. is he part of that? That, that or film Brad bro? Pitt and Fight Club? Yes, exactly. Like, basically, you're saying like the people who aren't getting the point, what you're saying, right? <laughs> Although, yeah. I, I mean, I like Ash in this movie. Oh, no, he, I do. Yeah, I do. I, do I think he does. All the way through, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the trajectory of the character over the course of the series. I like that he's kind of a wimp that does mm-hmm. overcome obstacle the obstacles and depending on how you look at the evil dead film either goes on or just dies in the end like everybody else as we know the evil dead is a standalone film according to at least one film twitter account and and might you add a perfectly sane human being who runs that twitter account i also like to say although he is the final person who lives in this movie even though he's the one who's taking control and figuring out what to do for me at least there's not one element where i'm like oh he's cool no, well, that, and he's honestly, which I, which well, I, which is, it's, it's a cool little yeah, twist. But, but that's, but that's not badass. Of, you don't think he's badass? No, no. no. not yet. Not until like not maybe the last five minutes of the movie, and even then, um, he's I, I still think, panicking though. You know, but he, but that, I think a lot of that goes into the fact that that was Bruce Campbell. I mean, one of the biggest myths that I realized early on, even when we first, um, when I first interviewed, I was ready to like talk about rock and roll music, and he's like, no, I don't listen to any of that, and I don't like horror movies. And I was yeah, like, oh, same okay. thing. I tried to find out what music they were listening to around <laughs> he likes the Motown. time. Of, and he said, yeah, Motown. Detroit. But that's as much as he went into it. Like, But honest, the, the only thing that he really is Ash, I mean, he really is Bruce Campbell in this movie because he talks about like in, in Chins Could Kill, he talks about how he says literally, if you saw me walking down the hall in high school, you would have grinned to yourself and muttered loser and never given me a second thought. The reason will become self-evident. For starters, I never even wore blue jeans, not even once. And he talks about how he was, he, you know, he, he kind of, he, he never really had a lot of dates. He wasn't a ladies man at all. I think that you get that. I mean, obviously you watch this movie and you're like, oh, this guy's fucking good looking. He's a Lothario. Like, you know, he's, he is going to be the Ash that we have. But I think that sort of sensibility and that, 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 that quirk was, was there in the, in the root of this character. But on the flip side, then you learn about his childhood and it makes sense why he would be the go-to uh, gam to like, you know, run through the walls and hit plates and trip and fall. And because, I mean, he talks about his childhood and he t- he says that he was a fearless kid. And he said that he loved, I mean, he roughed house with his brothers to the point where they literally had to make l- rules in the household. 
that if you if you did this, you would be fine. If you did that, you'd be fine. And um, he he talks about how adulthood was really hard for him to deal with because he he thought that he loved the idea of childhood. He didn't want childhood to end. And so when you think about those elements, the maelstrom of who Ash would become totally makes sense. It, it, I mean, he he might not be, you know, Bruce Campbell might not be the rockin' buffoon that Ash is, but they do play on his sensibilities as a person in general. So I don't know. Well, especially in the future movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, if you watch Within the Woods, I mean, I'm telling you, he's wearing this baseball tee. And he's got glasses. He's really thin. He's not super like muscular or anything. Like, like he is pretty much what he was before. He obviously went on that trajectory. But yeah, he's un- unassuming. You, I would not have pegged him to be like the, the one that survives or the the strong hero type. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm totally stoked that we're finally getting this version of Ash as an action figure for the first time. Uh, this year, thanks to NECA, they just announced right. it like last week that they're going to do finally the, f- it's crazy to me to think that like all the figures and all that merch that we've gotten is the ladder ash. And it makes sense because that's the, that's the ash that everyone wants. It's temple doom ash. And now it's like, they're getting this one and it's just like all buttoned up. He's just oh, he's holding an axe. Shirt. Yeah. He's, he's just holding an axe. <laughs> like in, I can imagine with, in his wallabies with- that he makes fun of so much on the commentaries, wearing a pair of Clark's wallabies, yeah. which uh, became popular because I think it's Ghostface Killer. Those are his favorite shoes. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You would have thought that he would want wanted like the uh, stuff that Ghostface wears. Oh, the mask and, and scream. Oh, the boots. The boots. Yeah, the boots. Yeah. And, oh, Ghostface Killer likes to be comfy. <laughs> we, what Ghostface Killers don't? To be I fair, I was going to say they're also releasing. Neca's also releasing the scene. Oh god! Hold everything, folks. Mac Mac is eating on on just unbelievable. Mac Gerber, Wolfman Mac, eating on Mike. Hey, we got it. We've been here for six hours already. (laughs) I I gotta eat a little. This is a one o'clock power bar over here. But there is a there's a there's a scene they're releasing. Can't even get through it. Where it's it's the Delta and it comes with grocery bags where you can throw toss them at the Ash figure. Oh, nice! Which is, uh, yeah, which is literally what happened during the the production of the movie. I will well, say, you know what's th- funny is that somehow we've gone almost three hours and we have not talked about the Delta, which I st- which I affiliate with Ash, even though mm-hmm. he's not even the one driving the car. Well, it's a, it is his car, but he's not driving it. Isn't that what they say at the beginning? It's of the weird movie? because like it, the whole thing fucking changes throughout the whole th- the series. I always just liken it to like a veteran recalling like stories and just being like, Oh, well, things have kind of changed over the years. Cause like, yeah, it's Scotty's driving it, but yet in Ash versus evil dead, it makes it seem like it's his car. They no, also make Scotty it does yell at Ash. She says your car. He says your car. Okay. So then that's car. fair then. Yeah, so you, is you guys car. have done a, you guys have done a road trip, tune up, yeah. but also think about how many road trips have you gone on where you've like traded off driving. Yep. Yeah. Oh, totally. Going, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. But, well, uh, but let's. Can we, do you want to talk about the Delta a little bit here in this section? We might as well. I mean, he's the character. He's the character. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting because everyone the, the disdain for this car is all over the cast and crew because it, it was like a pain in the ass to make sure. Like, uh, uh, was it um, in, in in the Chins and Kill it, the book? It's like it was just a pain in the ass. Sam needed specific things in the car to work because he had certain shots within the car that he needed and he would never bend. I said, Sam, you can't do it this way. It's going to cost you this much money. And he says, I don't care. I want it that way. I want it in. It was almost like he was crazy about it. And uh, they said, David Goodman, <laughs> a longtime friend of the Ramey family, offered his take on Sam's object of desire. He said, I think he got laid for the first time in the classic. That's why it's probably so important to him. Like, <laughs> all there was was a family-owned Oldsmobile Delta 
Delta Royale. And for some reason, he's insisted on it being in every one of his movies. Obviously, it's not in The Quick of the Dead, but it's in like, you know, it's the car that. <laughs> what if it was? It would be hilarious. <laughs> I, I wonder if he. Did he, did he ever like confirm a, or like deny that? That he didn't put it in there. I think Leonardo DiCaprio rolls up in it, and it's just like, oh, hey. Oh, that's right. DiCaprio you know? shows up. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be like a a hubcap from it. That's what I'm in the saying. Saloon. It's, it's like a tray. Or, it's got to be something in there. It's got to be something going on there. But they would play pranks with him, too, and be like, well, the only way we could do it is if we take it all apart. And like he noticed that one time when they were setting up a shot or something, he was like, wait. This is the classic. This is this is my Delta, and they're like, "Yeah, this is the only way we could have gotten this shot, asshole." And like, so it just—you could tell like people were like, "Oh God, fucking Christ, the Delta again." Off top of your heads, what's your favorite Sam Raimi moment with the Delta in a non-Evil Dead movie? Oh, Dark Man when Polly lands on it, mm. and who's in the car? Um, not Ted Raimi. Cohen's. Oh, the Cohen. Oh, good. Cohen wow. Brothers. So that's even more fun. Yeah. And, you know, I love the Coen brothers. What can I possibly say? Anybody else have any other ones? That's oh, it's always my go-to for memory. I think there's, I wanted I mean, to say. Uncle Ben's car, right? In Spider-Man. It is Uncle Ben's car. Yeah. That's crazy. Is it the same car, too? Yes. I mean, I can't believe it's in that good a shape. Well, I think well, when you get to the point where you're making Spider-Man, you can, you can fix <laughs> yeah, up yeah, any car on, you yeah, want. Yeah, but yeah. They, they fuck it up pretty bad in Crime Wave, don't they? Or at least that's a stunt car. He said. I think, I think a bit of it's a stunt car, I would think. He said he's the not crazy that, about it. I can't imagine them being like, "Yeah, you can do whatever you want to the Delta at this point in my career." I feel I feel like they he talks about that in the book, and that like at this point, like the only thing that's really even original anymore is like maybe the fr- just the frame and like parts of the upholstery. I guess I can't confirm this based on what I'm looking at on 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 image search, but I do believe the nude scene with Katie Holmes takes place on the Delta, maybe or maybe it's just mm, another yeah, car. I think you're right. But uh, but I, yeah, I, I think I'd have to go with Uncle Ben. I mean, it's so fucking iconic. Um, I just remember a big grin on my face when he's driving that car around. It's, how, it's just how strange that this movie made for nothing is now in, in one of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> 25 years. Yeah, 25 yeah. years later, I guess it was at the time. Jesus. Um, uh, any final words? I mean, listen, we're going to be talking a lot about Bruce Campbell and Ash throughout the next year of our lives. But anything else to add about him he, and the Evil Dead, Mike? So he had like PTSD, I think, from this shoot. I mean, I think I everyone it. did, uh, just because it was it was arguably the one of the hardest shoots of all time. I mean, that's what we I talked think about they with had Sam TSD. Raimi. They had TSD. Like a nightmare making it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, and he said that he said we attempted to adjust back to civilian life with uneven success. For some reason, I refused to shave until the film was done. This absurdity became self evident once we did reshoots, and I had to shave. But during this period, I slept on the floor of my room, insisting that it had been good enough for me during, quote unquote, the <laughs> shoot. That says everything about just like where they were mentally during that this. That sounds like Tom Hanks in Castaway when he's got that great <laughs> big bed, but he sleeps on the floor next to it. Yeah. And then he like looks at the food and he's just like, he's like. <sighs> okay. Side note. Every time I think about Castaway, I do think about that incredible table of all that seafood and how, and how hungry I get. I know it's, it defeats the purpose because obviously it's supposed to show that. He doesn't want to eat it. Look, Bruce Campbell, we love you. We'll be talking about you a lot throughout the year. Let's move on to our next section here. We, we talked a lot about this short film in the last episode, but it's also the name of this category we're calling Within the Woods. What the hell happened to you? Cheryl, what's the matter with you? Did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ashley. The trees. Ash, what right, this is going to be the most complicated section we have to do every single episode, mm-hmm. because ultimately, 
most of the cast of these Evil Dead movies become the creatures. So I think in this instance, we can specifically talk about the voice of the Evil Dead, the join us, the, the creepy noises that, that, that they're made. They're not coming yeah. from the entity. The, the entity. Yeah, the entity itself, as, as it were, Mac. That's right. And who provided the voice of the uh, Evil Dead? Mr. Sam Raimi himself. Sam That's Raimi right. himself. Popping up big time. Yeah. And this is a voice that is more or less used in all of the this style of voice, this style, this cadence is repeated throughout all the movies. I don't think I think they kind of drop it for the Evil Dead remake, though, don't they? Or is it the same guttural? Uh, I'd have noise? to revisit it again. Gosh, I can't, I can't wait to revisit that because I don't I, remember yeah. enough of I'm it. I'm looking yeah. forward to revisiting it. I, I was not yeah. a big fan of it, but I think maybe with some distance, I'll, I'll have a bigger appreciation for it. But uh, look, it's. That voice is quite creepy, and the, the the classic join us is coming from Mr. Sam Raimi, Mr. Sam Raimi himself. What can I say? And what? well, I had a few highlights. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, I love. <laughs> I'm being serious with this. I love when the demon is chasing Cheryl, mm. and he hops the hood of the car yeah. like Tom oh. Cruise in a Mission Impossible film. <laughs> That's just like so, you know the way that they have the camera work on that it's so great it's like he like hops the hood <laughs> uh i love when he gets uh when right when cheryl gets in the door and then he's like oh yeah he just backs <laughs> up into the woods it's so great i like That's that he can't he, he can't go through the door he can do exactly anything but later else on, but... he's bursting through doors and everything to get the tash at the end of the movie but now nope can't get through the door he can get through I windows like, but that that sentient of that i love that too though because like there's that moment when they're in the Delta and it's not starting and it gaslights Cheryl because as yeah. soon as she says, it's not going to start, it won't let us leave. It starts. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like almost working against her to make everybody think that she is crazy. And then also something they lean into more in Evil Dead 2 is not only can it really, can it possess the people, but it possesses the cabin essentially. You know, yeah. that's when, when Ash puts his hand through the wind, through the mirror you know, the shutters are going crazy. That's when all the camera work, the, all the Sam Raimi-isms that we would see in all the movies going forward. But when you, the way the camera moves and when it focuses on the, the beams of the house and the, you know, or the, the creaks and the, the crevices and things, and the footsteps on the, and it's, it's like, is any of this happening? Is it all in his head? And they obviously they definitely lean into that in the second one. But I just love, I love that the entity can kind of do whatever it wants and that it really takes its time, which lends itself to the whole, like, why are you torturing me like this? It's all about torture, essentially. That's why he doesn't just, they don't just turn him like they turn uh-huh. everybody else immediately. It's just like relishing it. Well, you mentioned yeah. how the camera kind of hops over the Delta at one point. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the evil dead in this movie is the, the POV. It's the camera, mm-hmm. the, the opening shot going through the forest, the, the final shot slamming through it just kind of like wandering around the exterior of the cabin looking into windows well that's <laughs> like, what i was gonna say he's uh, like te- he's, he's uh you know he's tearing a page from billy drago from uh untouchables we got a little like malone uh, uh situation or, or, going or on from, there from briscoe county oh yeah that's, that's true. right he was the villain he was kind of yeah. like the, the ne'er-do-well in briscoe county jr wow what, what if we found out that billy drago was actually the evil dead the entire time you they know just cut him like, from the movie yeah they cut him from the movie he's like hey i said <laughs> Can we do? God. Can we get the, the the Michael Jackson "Rock My World" video, but, oh, but just put Evil Dead scenes in it? But keep you, the you, Billy Drago. You ain't got nothing. What do you yeah. got? You ain't got nothing. Nice just turn cabin. the cabin chairs around. 
I said you got a nice cabin. Um, I the the one thing that so yeah, you're right, Matt, because it does possess more in the second one. But we do get some trees in this. We get. The, I think that's the only thing that really is possessed other than the chair, which is yeah. To me, we, we were watching it last night. Um, you talk about the, I, the outside swing, right? The, the swing at the, the thing. Th- yeah. I think it's still one of the creepiest moments in the movie, and it sets oh, the yeah. tone so well. When it mm-hmm. stops the minute he gets the keys, it's so chilling. And it, just the, the shot of the way that Rainey like, zooms underneath, uh, like right behind um, Scotty, like I think it's a Dutch angle, and you just see everything, you see like the thing rocking and the pacing, and there's, not, and there's a little bit of music, but just, just, a li- just it's very subdued. That whole sequence is just like the top three scariest moments of the of the franchise. It's the great sound design too of it thumping against the exterior uh, of the of the cabin, which is so uh, effective. Uh, we do need to talk about this because I'll put it this way: this is something that was not shown on the USA Network uh, <laughs> at, at oh, the time, no. so it's quite jarring when little Justin saw it on VHS for the first time. And that is the scene, which is much more controversial than I thought it than I thought it is. Yeah, even today, um, of the the tree essentially mm. inserting itself into share a lot of people really that they can't watch the movie and i i understand look it can be a brutal thing for people to, to watch or to have to like to, to, to look at in a horror movie i will say sam raimi did say this this is fairly recently he said it was unnecessarily gratuitous and a little too brutal my goal was not to offend people my judgment was a little wrong at that time so he, he actually would not have included that and i think at the end of the day you know it really comes down to you know, different strokes for different folks. I, well, I think horror can have whatever it wants, but again, it's not for all people. And I respect Sam Raimi for saying he didn't want to do it in the future. He wouldn't have done it. But um, in terms that of that scene is what it is. It's hard to really talk about too much. Well, the, you know, the but, movie doesn't change whether that scene happens or not. Uh, that's the thing. You could take it out. And you like I said, I still out. loved it in the USA. I didn't. You know. It was but as a kid said, that was the most talked about scene with like amongst friends. Of being like, holy shit, because that's the moment that's where the everyone thing. is like, whoa, what, what is? What is this? Like, but this movie is exploitation. It is transgressive. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think that is probably the most exploitive thing in Easily. there. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I just thought it was very jarring. Like, holy shit. What is this, what is this movie about? I think the um, VHS but, you know. that I saw when I was a kid was so dark that you couldn't even make out what was happening in that sequence. Well, that it was quite well, rapid when you think about it. It's not like it's, it lingers on. It just, bam, and then you keep on with the scene. Mm-hmm. But. Ellen Sandwise talked about it. Um, oh, in, in the in the Evil Dead Companion, she says um, when she talks about the the premiere, this is really awful. But uh, she said the premiere was wonderful; it was very exciting, and my parents came. Everybody <laughs> oh, came, God. and I had to sit through that one scene, which is always kind of the downer anytime anything comes up with this movie. And when they did another premiere in Morristown, um, yeah, so basically she acknowledges that herself. Like, I mean, it wasn't. Not a great thing to watch with your parents, I imagine, right? I would you imagine know? so. You know, but the she, fact that she says it's a, a, a bummer anytime it comes up, you can tell like that, That I don't know. You can tell that I don't know, but she says that she's, she kind of suggests that it's a double and the way they shot that movie, that could possibly be true. But all those shots match too well. I feel like maybe that might be some Monday morning quarterbacking. I don't know. But I was looking up all the fake Shemp's stuff. The vines going up Cheryl's leg are actually Joanne Cruz's leg. Oh, oh yeah. interesting. Okay. Um, in in in, a, in that particular sequence when it wraps around the leg. Yes. But the main thrust, I guess, or whatever. It, it, I don't. I don't know who. The, I think that's, that's definitely her. That's the reverse shot too, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. 
I, <laughs> I hope. assume so, right? Uh, I think, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think that it this movie doesn't need that. It doesn't, because I, I don't think it changes anything. Even if she was just attacked by the trees and then she gets away, because she literally gets away like two seconds after that happens. You know, well, she gets away just, pretty it, quickly. It's one and, insertion and it, it doesn't, what I want to say, it doesn't linger. That's what I was saying. Much. It doesn't, yeah. you don't see it going. It's a whole other discussion. Ah, I'll put, right. here's the, long, the long story short is this. I would say there are people like me who think the movie Angst is just this incredibly disturbing movie. There's a lot of people who would not like Angst because of the subject matter. You know what I mean? That's all, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, I'll say Rob Tapper didn't make it any better because when they were shooting that scene, this is it's pretty bad. I mean, Josh Becker, who actually has a really great whole rundown of like his journal, which reads kind of like the journals in a Resident Evil game. Where you're like, can't hmm. wait for this new product. And then it goes like, me sure, burr, burr, and it just like kind of regurgitates into like mental breakdowns. But he said, after shooting the the Hambridge scene until 6.30 in the, in the morning with two generators, a 36-foot crane, three fog machines, and 4,000 watts of light, we got up at 11 a.m. to go to Gary Holt's mother-in-law's house for Thanksgiving meal. And the next day... We had to, uh, oh, wait, 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 sorry. Let me, let me back up on that. The cast worked very hard, very hard. We were shooting Ellen Sandweiss being chased through the woods by the force, and she's in that light uh, little nightgown barefoot. We had the camera set up on a plywood for a couple hundred feet so we could follow her with a wheelchair with the camera on it. There was no dolly in that picture. It's one of the coldest nights of the year, and we're shooting all night long. She's running and falling and running and falling for hours. She got completely wound down, and as it was nearing dawn, she said, that's it. You don't get it anymore. She was in tears and just ran away. Rob and I are coiling up cables and pulling all the stuff out there. And as we're doing this, we see blood all over the plywood. Her feet had obviously been ripped to shreds by the roots and stuff. And Rob Tappert says, I love it when actors give me that much. Like, just a, just a shitty fucking line. And like, and he's like... And then the, the book goes on to say, like, reminded of this, Rob's a little embarrassed. He's like, I was kind of joking. He admits, taken out of context, it's kind of horrible. But at the time, it seemed like a funny, appropriate thing. And then it says on here, in any event, Ellen Sandweiss did, did give up acting, a career she had originally intended to pursue, which is... But, you know, Ellen was know. part of the gang. So I feel like that was just maybe Rob, you know, he took it too far, but I... I yeah, I, I think he goes a little far. He would have said that, that to, I, he would have said that to Bruce or Sam or anybody else, because they all knew each other. It wasn't like Betsy Baker or um, Sarah York, if you if you believe that's her real name, who were just well, hired cha- yeah. for the project. <laughs> yeah, true. true. True, true. Well, we talked a lot about it already. I guess we should probably move on to our next section, then, shouldn't we? Oh, I agree. And the section we're calling Knights and Deadites. One by one, we will take you. <sighs> Yeah, you mentioned Ellen Sandwise, who plays Cheryl in this, and who played, creatively enough, Ellen, who is at, who is Bruce's girlfriend in Within the Woods, but is Ash's sister Cheryl in this. And I would say, if uh, she is not convincing as what are later known as Deadites, uh, if she's not as convincing as a Deadite, then this movie doesn't work at all. And uh, absolutely terrifying in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> From the moment, okay, does anybody here? Can anybody here recite? When she recites the cards, does anybody remember the order? Oh, it's so fucking cool. I, but no, I can't. <laughs> jack of diamonds, ace of clubs. Uh-huh. No? You got the jack of diamonds right. Mac. Ace of spades, right? Nope. That's not 11, 11 of uh, spades? No. It's, uh, I can do it. Here we go. I wrote, I wrote it down like a good little boy. <laughs> Queen of spades. Four of hearts. 
Eight of spaces, two of spades, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs. Ah, that's the great really line. And terrifying. Really, that's when you're like, oh, this is what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, if you go totally blind in 1993, yeah. 94, there's no, there's nothing. There's, it just blew my mind at the time. And this is, I think as we go through these characters, well, I, how I did my notes was just what disturbed me the most, I guess. And something I noticed, here's something you don't notice on old VHS copies and USA airings, is when Cheryl's hand gets possessed and she starts drawing the, the Necronomicon on, her, on the piece of paper, if you look closely, you'll see that her hand is kind of veiny. Mm-hmm. Her hand is possessed in that moment, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a, a precursor to Ash's hand getting possessed in Evil Dead 2. Never noticed that before until you watch it kind of cleaned up. She's the stealth MVP oh. of the movie for me. I, I, I think that even watching behind-the-scenes footage, this is on that DVD that Matt called up, The Book of the Dead. Like, this is before, you know, they add on all the, the effects and everything for her voice, but her delivery is so spot on. And, then like, even with, a, with the effects, it's effective. I mean, she she's phenomenal in this. And, like, the, the arc that she goes through is just so coarse and so rough. And it's just, like, it is astounding to, like, think of... You you see her in the beginning. She's kind of just quiet in the back seat, and she's the loudest of the movie. Eventually, like, and it's just mm-hmm. so effective, and it's so unnerving. And just seeing her, just like staring at everyone underneath that cellar door, is that's the iconogra- iconography iconography. That's the iconogra- iconography of this movie. Like, that's it right there. Is and she just her looking it. out. Uh, the, the, and then, I mean, think about the major promo for the 2013 remake is of. Mm-hmm. That character yeah. looking out through that crack. And Mac, I feel like we've talked more about Cheryl looking out of the, the cellar door, the basement door, than anything else in horror over our lives. So, yeah, what do you think about uh, uh, I, Ellen Samwise in this movie? Yeah, uh, brilliant. Uh, just ter- absolutely terrifying. And it's the thing that, it's the image. It's kind of like the the image of Reagan, <laughs> And the exorcist, like whenever I see it, like it still unnerves me. Like mm. I, I, I don't like, I would never wear a t-shirt of Cheryl in the basement <laughs> looking out of the, you know what I mean? And I love Cheryl Oof. in the basement as a band name too. Someone do that. Uh, also, but yeah, that, that sequence when Ash is dragging Li- Linda outside, I think. Yeah. And then it just stops and it's just her just sitting there, just kind of gurgling and just frozen. I think I said that video to all of you the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, God, I and and I think something that's lost a lot on me because I've just seen it so many times. But it, I was really trying to watch it with fresh eyes this time, this the second or third time I watched it this month, and it's his sister. I know, yeah. Yeah. and and I love that scene when he when she bursts out, uh, grabs him, and has like her thumb in his mouth, and she's saying, "It's your sister, Cheryl." It's so. Well, how terrifying would that be? It was like your family member. And it's like, what do you do? You know, like, uh, uh, brutal. But yep. she is fantastic. I think anytime you, anytime you see her, anytime she shows up, it's just, it's, it's great. I agree. You, Vanderbilt, you've always been, strange enough, a real hard out on the Cheryl character. What's your, what's your deal with Cheryl? Well, I've always wavered between her and <laughs> Betsy Baker as the stone cold fox of the film. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, let me Sorry. sell this right She's now. She's stone cold to, for me. It's it's Ellen Sandweiss, without yeah, a doubt. A hundred percent. I mean, not only is that. she good looking, I'm really into her nose. I really like that yeah. nose. And she um she was like I like Ellen in the fact that she was one of the boys. You know, she was part of that gang. She was like the girl in all of 
Bruce's and Sam's film, and she came yep. on to do the you know the big theatrical f- film. And uh, she was a good sport, and she played along, and they abused her. Maybe not as much as they abused Bruce, Bruce Campbell, but she's still friendly with them to this day. I'm a big fan of Ellen Sandweiss. Yeah, the whole trio of the women are still doing all the circuit stuff, and they all seem to get along. And at least they look back on it finally, at least, which is always well, a nice it, thing. It, it seems like towards the end of the shoot, like there's, there's debate whether there was animosity when everybody left the filming of the movie. And I think there's... I think it's kind of a Rashomon effect where there's a little bit of truth to everything, where mm-hmm. I think a lot of them left that movie upset about it, but then kind of came around on it in recent years when it became successful. Well, I mean, wouldn't you? And why wouldn't I mean, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This thing is never going to come out. Well, yeah. that's the thing. You would look at it initially as, if it, if, it was, if it was a success, you look back like, what a waste of time, what a nightmare three months of shooting in the 20 degree Tennessee mountains, you know, but if it's successful, it's like, Oh, that was that hell. At least it really paid so off. So I found know? in the Detroit, uh, the Herald Palladium from January 2nd, 1981, a little profile on Betsy Baker. Oh no, we'll save that. I take the we'll Betsy Baker. Say Betsy yeah. Baker. Um, I do have a question. I always like these possession questions. Cause when people get possessed and they're not possessed, what's going on. So in the movie, when Cheryl is saying to Ash, Ash, it's me. I'm okay now. I'm, I'm curious, why didn't she continue the fake out until he took the chains off? Why did she all of a sudden burst it, back as the demon? Because it's the, it's the torment aspect. It's the, it's the messing with his mind. Because why, would, why did Cheryl Bo come back after Linda was trying to fake him out you know what i'm saying like yeah she kind of gives away the goat the, de- <laughs> I mean? the deadites like, are kind of morons too like that's, that's the thing true. like they're, they're totally they, really, they could have like, broken through that door you know they yeah just, <laughs> uh, well they yeah. could they, i mean yeah it's well, less about it's less about killing them as mag said and it's just they want to torment them until dawn hold on but what happens favorite? what in dawn what happens at dawn do they, they go to bed they just take a nap take a nap take a nap like I don't said, think they, so. They, they, they never, they're never really truly dead. They're, they lie dormant. They just go take a nap. <laughs> well, as we learned in the second one, time isn't really an element anymore. You know, it's, like, it flashes through. Yeah, because it kind of goes through really fast. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I always just got the sense that like they are, they're just so chaotic. Like they're almost like little salacious crumbs just running around, just like rah, 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 like you know, well, just chaotic. Keep the salacious I mean, crumb in mind when we talk about like <laughs> Betsy Baker because that character is a whole different. Oh. Absolutely. Beast, fun beast to well, deal with. But I, but on Cheryl, though, I do think what's sad is that, like, because they didn't, I mean, you guys will talk about it in the second one, but, like, I do think it's a shame that, like, the Cheryl through line kind of ends here, and you can't really talk about the sister as much in, like, what that does to Ash, because I think it's a really integral part of his character development that Ash versus Evil Dead is the first to really reconcile with after this. Yeah, like, right. and, and I think it really works in that, too. Yeah, 100%. There, so such one, probably the best part of the show. So my, my lasting memory of Cheryl in this is the POV of her kind of breathing in and out and them trying to figure out what to do with her. And then they all say, or I think Shelly says, for God's sakes, what happened to her eyes? And there's that shot of her kind of backing down into the, into the cellar door and laughing maniacally. Uh, and, that light, and that little sheet of light is shining through. That is so disturbing. Even thinking about it now is just horrifying. Anyway, great job, Ellen Samwise. As Cheryl went, oh, you know, Ellen Samwise's daughter is Jesse Hodges. Really? You know who Jesse Hodges is? 
She's a comedian. She's been in a bunch of stuff. She's married to Beck Bennett, as a matter of fact, and that's how I found out that, that she was because she was talking in some interview. He said, "Yeah, my my wife, her mother was in the Evil Dead." I went, "What the fuck?" That's so crazy. Yeah, uh. and she does have some mannerisms that, do, that, looking back now, do remind me of Ellen Sandwise. Mm. But uh, anyway, there you go. A little trivia for you there. Uh, next up in the credits is a real enigma in real life, and that is somebody who went by the name Hal Delrick, but is now Richard Demanicor. Matt Gerber's <laughs> the Macacore, as it were. And then he plays Scott. And my, my first note for Scott here is Scotty's a real jerk. <laughs> yeah. That's what you say. Scott's the real villain of the <laughs> <laughs> He's a real jerk. <laughs> this is the kind of guy. I, I, but you know what? That I love it. I will I say though, it. he's believable, right? Because I, I think we all know this guy. And I actually did right here. God, the guy helped me. I said I would have behaved just like him on this <laughs> well, trip. Okay. That would have been me. So that's a that's a question I have as long okay. as you bring it up. Are you an Ash or a Scotty? I, I am a Scotty. I think right. I'd be. I think I'd be a Scotty. I'm an Ash. Except in the sense that I uh, would be. Please. I would. I would be the guy saying, "No, fuck it. Let's get them all locked in the cellar and let's just chill out here." No, I would have been like, "I'm getting the fuck I w- out." I here. wouldn't have gone out to the woods. No, I, I would have gone out to the woods. You got to be pragmatic been, in that situation. I would have. The minute the out. fucking bench hits the thing and stops, and goes, all right, we're done. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Oh, so, so you're like a a, a Cheryl. Yeah, I guess like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I am more of a Cheryl. Yeah, I'm probably more like Linda with a little ash thrown in. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. You're like Linda and Ash on the on the couch together, to get like literally mixed together as one human like, being. But myself, I'm playing eye games with myself. You're giving, you're giving myself your own jewelry. <laughs> okay. It might be kind of totally nice. Yeah. No, but yeah. but Scotty, I gotta <laughs> yeah. say, every time I watch this, I kind of I always want to watch this with Randall because Randall loves bullies. Yeah. And that, that's Randall Colburn <laughs> from the Losers Club. And I just, I love him as he's such a jerk. I mean, every, every line. I love when he's in the basement and, uh, and they're mm-hmm. looking at the stuff and he has the Kandarian dagger and he says, <laughs> Yeah. Hey, it kind of looks like your old ex girlfriend. <laughs> or Ash just like willingly laughs. Like, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> but he laughs with them because it is like, you can see why they're friends and it's all like in, in good fun. Even when he points the gun at him and he pushes it away, you can tell that Ash knows that he's. It's like the thing that Justin said earlier, like to anyone else, he's an asshole, but when he's your friend, he's your friend. Yeah. And then obviously he's not really friends with Ash's little sister. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah. his big sister, isn't it? Isn't Ash the younger brother? I don't think they confirm in this movie. Yeah, I don't think they confirm. But I like movie. when he tells the one girl he's going to break her face. Like, what the oh, fuck? Oh, God, that's right. In front of the fireplace. Well, something else I noticed this time around when, oh, really quick. Cheryl has that vision when she does the thing of the book. Right afterwards, she has the vision of the cellar door, like Close, opening, closing. Yeah, and I thought that's the first time they ever really do that. And I don't know if they really do it where they have almost have like a premonition of like their future. Mm. And then when right after that scene, Scotty's just whispering to her, "Dead bodies in the cellar, dead bodies in the <laughs> cellar." And I never really picked up on that before. Like, and that's what's that's what where he starts to goad her. You know, <laughs> it's just like. He's such a total asshole. Ooh. Oh, he's a shit. He's a you shit. know what he is in this? And he's not like the character, but he's kind of like the... He is what Tom Skerritt is to Alien. Where you think that he might live. He might be the hero of the movie. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like the Dallas almost. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. There's a very huh. funny continuity error that really sticks. I mean, look, this movie, there's a lot of continuity errors when you think about it, but this one's more noticeable. It's He's kind of got like a long, shaggy haircut down to like almost... You know, it's a shaggier haircut. But right when he goes into the bathroom and is about to leave the bathroom, right as Shelly grabs his face, 
his hair is like three inches shorter. <laughs> like that's obviously a reshoot at somebody's house somewhere or something like that. And it always sticks out. Probably not thumb. even him. No, it's definitely him. So it's a close-up uh, yeah. of his face, but his hair is much shorter. It's much, much shorter. They're like, yeah, we got to film him in this. Who gives a shit? He's the only guy, according to one of the commentaries, that actually liked horror movies and wanted to be mm. in horror movies. And it was a big dream for him. He disappeared for years from the scene. He, re- he kind of reappeared recently. And like you said, Ralph, I was shocked that he's going to be in this video game. I am, too. I couldn't be believe great. that. Great. I'm happy for him. But yeah. uh, that's wild. Well, she, I, it was fun Catching him in Crime Wave for two seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah that's the, right. He is in Crime Wave. No, no lines, yeah. I, I saw, I think you sent a still of him in that, Mac, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I think when I got to, I think one of the reasons why, and I'm not going to be on this episode, so I can say it now, but like, I think one of the reasons why Evil Dead 2 is ranked so low for me, um, and I still love it, I still I still think it's great, but I, I think it is, honestly, is just the erasure of these characters, because I love these characters, and like, like Scotty's so much fun to watch, Cheryl is so great, and, that, and to me, they're integral to the development of the world of Evil Dead. So, like, when I remember going to that sequel and like, they're not in there, I'm like, what the fuck is this? And, like, granted, they've changed it now with, obviously, with the rights and everything and yada, yada, yada. But it was so affronting to me. And it's because I just, I, these characters are just so great. Like, I to be like, oh, it just went with Linda. I'd be like, fuck that. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the, the yeah, dynamic I think we'll, between... we'll debate what really happens in, in the beginning of part two. That'll be a fun episode yeah. to talk about like is it a remake is it a reboot is it a sequel is it a requel like what's going on here uh, I just think that is a standalone film oh, oh that's god right. here that we one go guy on twitter he's probably well, posted Scotty. today god bless his heart and i do Some mean th- god bless his heart because I'm, I'm i'm fearful for him all right <laughs> scotty scotty says in the beginning that they're renting the cabin from someone and you know like today this movie came out today we'd get a prequel Oh. With the person who owns the cabin or rents the cabin, the we Mac, need to find out, out who is that person that owns the who is the person renting them the cabin. Like, who cares? Don't, <laughs> don't say it out loud. Matter. And well, I have I just, to say the scariest moment in the movie because you forget that Scotty is dead on the ground in the cabin. You forget he's there yeah. during that finale. So when he sits up at the end, even now is just jarring. Scares the. It's like the head popping out of the. Fucking boat and jobs. <laughs> I mean, it is that is such a great fucking great. scare, and that's what actually, like you said, Mac, that closes within the woods is that character jumping, yeah. sitting up. Uh, it, um, it also just too. elevates the the stress and chaos and the stakes because it's just like, all right, well he's handled them. <laughs> nope, nope. No, Scotty's here. <laughs> Scotty's back <laughs> from like, the dead. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a nightmare. Yeah. Anything else on our boy Scotty before we move on? He was a professional diver. I read. Well. Congratulations, Rich. He, he appeared in Strikers War, which was shot in a video in 1980 and was the rough draft for Thou Shalt Not Kill, except. Oh, oh by oh. Scott Spiegel, right? Um, no, who's the special? Who's the other guy that I'm thinking Tappert? of? Tappert? Not no. Tappert, the other name. I, why am I having. Because Scott Spiegel. Up, Tom. Um, Scott Spiegel co wrote this. It's a story by Scott Spiegel, Bruce Campbell, and. Yeah, we'll figure it out. One day. If only there was a way to find out. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to Linda. I've got to point this out. Linda, played by Betsy Baker, who is, you know, Ash's girlfriend in this film. She's wearing a Michigan State sweater. Now, Baker, along with Rami and other crew members, attended Michigan State around this time. As a matter of fact... Josh Becker. Josh Becker directed. Josh Becker did, okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, they attended school at the same time as Magic Johnson. Now, he oh. was actually in his rookie year for the Lakers when they were filming... 
The Evil Dead. Um, and you should catch Winning Time on HBO Max now, also home to the upcoming <laughs> Evil Dead Rise coming later this year. So I just wanted to point that out. All these sports fans out there. Oh, there's there's some other apparel routes. Uh, the Camp Tamaaka shirts that are in in this one and Evil Dead Two. That's where Raimi was uh, shipped off to every summer, and the inspiration for the film Indian Summer. Oh yeah, which Sam Raimi True. is in as yes. a camp as a campground worker. Yeah, I like to call Indian Summer the film. What if the Big Chill didn't work? <laughs> some people say it doesn't work. I, I don't understand that. There are a lot of people that don't like the big chill for some reason. And I, and I don't like those people. So, well, um. that's all we can, we can get into <laughs> that, but we can get into why that might be, but um, I'd like to continue to have a, a Sam Raimi por- going here. Sam Raimi portrays stick coder, <laughs> stick coder in the 1993 <laughs> film, Indian summer. Isn't that um, with another Craven? That's with Matt Craven, not Wes Craven. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, let's talk about for Christ's sake. Let's talk about Linda here. I think she has one of the creepiest moments of the whole movie. I mean, it, it's yep that that sequence where she's just sitting there and she with those those the uh, the fucking um gla- the eyes lids and stuff. It's just so fucking eerie. Even now, after a hundred fucking rewatches, it still chills my bones. To piggyback on Mike, there, I think it's so out of character for the demons at that point to literally just be sitting there and not do anything and not be attacking mm. and. It just goes to show the individuality of like the demons possessing each. It's not all just one demon, you know what I mean? And I kind of love that. Well, that's why it's join us, you know what I mean? It really is a weird collective. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like they're gremlins there. almost, you know? Yeah. And if you notice, <laughs> yeah, where are we gonna get brainy deadite? <laughs> <laughs> if, if if you'll notice though, this that Cheryl, the Linda outside looks different than the Linda inside because. One of them was the. I think the outside stuff was shot before, and they gave her more of a witchy kind of look. Mm. Longer they, hair too. Yeah, curlier hair. And they changed Wiggins. it to the the kind of cupid doll thing for the inside. Well, what I think is really disturbing me about that scene, Mike, watching it again, is that it's before Scotty appears suddenly at the door, de- deathly injured, mm. and he's looking around the house. He looks at that that doorway, and there's nothing there. And then Scotty bursts through the door, and he's helping Scotty. And then when they when the camera when the legs leave the camera, she's sitting there. Yeah. Suddenly, and uh, I think it's kind of like a weird like Mac like the piano like, dong effect yeah. goes on there. But the way that she acts like she she's like a living doll, in a way, that is that is just creepy to me. And it's the we're gonna get you when she starts singing that song, and then the music mm-hmm. kind of accompanies her. Spider web up her legs is gross too. That's some great yeah. effects there too, by the way. Oh, just the the pencil to the ankle. Ugh, fuck the pencil right. to the ankle. Oh, something else I learned in the interview. Speaking of, mm. you know, look, everybody was getting injured in this movie. We talked about obviously Bruce Campbell's getting injured, Ellen Samwise getting scratched up badly to the point of blood, and so is Betsy Baker, because in that scene when she's being dragged out of the house, initially, that was really tough cabin wood and that was scratching the shit out of her back like leaving blood behind there as well mm. so apparently they they tore out i could have sworn i got i should have I watched this again i think they tore out some of the leather from the car and like taped <laughs> it to her back so they should have some padding on her back i mean this i'm telling you this is a low budget movie making yet it's grossest i guess you could yeah. say literally gross because well, everybody's bleeding something that when i was a kid watching this for the first time i had to make sense of in my brain was why 
the, the deadites all look different constantly throughout the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't think I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to the low budget nature of it. I thought it was like purposefully done to an extent. And you know, looking at it now, there's like multiple people that play her <laughs> in those doll scenes and things because they were reshoots or you know, shot later on when they didn't have Betsy Baker to do it. But like, I like the, what you were saying, Justin, about how she kind of is like this baby doll version of herself mm-hmm. and then it just gets more and more amplified and almost where she's just with a big curly wig at the you know when she's being buried and i was like making i was like yep that makes sense you yeah, know sure, like, or like even like every single time you see cheryl you, you're not sure what you're gonna get so it's always scary because because even if you're like okay well, i know what cheryl looks like it's not gonna be scary but the next time you see her she might look totally weirdly different and that was really unnerving to me it's like i could never get comfortable with what these things look like. Mm-hmm. And that was a scare thing that even the low budget nature made like, you know, what if every single, well, I can't, they kind of do that in the second one, but I, I just, I love that aspect of it. And I, I, I still love it to this day. I, yeah. I would not go back and change it. I think the continuity or the, the non-continuity of the, of the deadites works in its favor. Well, that adds to the charm of it too. I think, I think at least. Rothman, and I mean this sincerely too, you always were kind of uh, moved by the the Ash and Linda relationship and like the tragedy of, of that, especially for Ash in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, because that's really the, I mean, especially as we get into the sequels, it, it's like, you know, the core conflict. And I and I think with this one, they play it seriously. Like I, the iGame sequence, you know, we mentioned with the score, it's so stupid and melodramatic but i love it like it's 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 just adds so much more there's a there's a sort of you don't tragedy see that, you don't see that normally in slasher and exploitation no, pictures there's a sweetness no. to it there yeah. is a sweetness that's the word sweetness is it's just so sweet and like i love like how she catches him and then when you think of like and even they acknowledge in that moment when the, when she catches him like how dumb it was to, yeah. oh you know it wasn't like oh you know yeah so i love yeah. that and it's it, it's it, it's unexpected and in very inspired by like you know those days of low budget filmmaking where you do silly tricks like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to do, right? It's just you close up, edit, close up, edit. You know. But I I love that scene, and then uh, something I, uh, years of watching this I didn't really pick up on is how it's mirrored again. Yes, when he's I noticed her. it too yeah. for the first and, time. And for some reason, I just didn't make that connection. It's a great until callback. Someone pointed it out to me, and I was like, "Oh my god, that is really." Great. I was, was just like totally went over my head. We had it on at Rocket Home Public House, just in the background, no sound, and I'm looking up watching it. And I just happened to look up at that sequence, and I saw the eye thing. And I go, "You know, it was Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen." Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's basically yeah. what you're saying. It's the scene where. He's digging her ditch. He's digging her grave, and she's laying on the ground. And then she'll open her eyes, and he looks back, and her eyes are closed again. That's Brilliant! Just, it's yeah, just, it's Oof. great. And then it ends with him going to, for the necklace, and then her hand comes out. It's, and the it's, necklace, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The necklace is another callback. It's, so oh, stealing from the blind, eh? <laughs> <I love laughs> that's that. such a that's such like a Three Stooges line. Yeah. Right uh, there. Uh, well, uh, before we get to talking about shimps and whatnot, let's talk about Jelly. Oh wait! Did we? Ta- by... Oh, we, I wanted to throw something oh. about Betsy Baker, though. Oh, sorry, I good. Because I found this profile of her in the January second, nineteen eighty-one issue of the Herald Palladium. Mm. Uh, she's she's promoting a uh, two-hour TV movie on CBS called World of Honor with the great uh, Carl Madlin. Uh, Mal- Carl, Carl Madlin. Carl, Carl Malden. Oh, Carl Malden. Malden. I was going to say, yeah, I knew who that is. I know. Yeah. 
So anyway, so Charles they, Madeline, Charles Madeline. So Miss Baker will also be appearing in another film, Book of the Dead, when it's released in the spring to theaters across the U.S. Yeah, what I, year was that? 81, 82, 83, 84? Yeah, right. <laughs> I must have been out to lunch when I said I would do the movie. Miss Baker laughs. It was a lot of work. 20 to 21 hours days. Many scenes were done outside, and the temperature dropped to 10 degrees on some nights. She admits she was shocked when she saw the finished product, but not because of its contents. I couldn't believe it. Scenes that took us five or six nights to shoot only lasted 30 to 60 seconds in the film. <laughs> I believe that 100% too. You can see the time passing in this movie Oh, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh all right, let's talk about, ultimately, this is a pretty uh, brief appearance when you think about it, but uh, Teresa Tilly, who was then known as Sarah York, as Shelley, who, my God, I mean, you want to talk about making an appearance and then uh, having it, you know, quelled quite quickly. It's still extremely disturbing, <laughs> extremely memorable. Mac, what do you think about uh, Teresa Tilly? Well, I was going to say, yeah, she, like barely in the, not very focused on, not really given a lot to do. But I will say the card sequence with Linda when she's shining her on and making her believe that she has, the, <laughs> you know, the sight. That's a good bit. That's everything you need to know about that character. And immediately I was just kind of like, you're kind of like, oh, I love this character. Like they're like really <laughs> given, given Linda, you know, one four. But yeah, the, but Demon Shelley is mm. formidable. Got some of the creepiest lines in the, in the whole thing. So Rothman. there's some some story as to it. You know, we were kind of stumbling around the names and stuff. Uh, I have some context on that. So Teresa Seaforth, who later became, and this is all from, again, the Evil Dead companion, essential for anyone who is a, a deadite like all of mm. us. They say that Teresa Seaforth, who later became a radio personality in Chicago and Los Angeles, was Cassis Shelley and Rich Demanicor a professional diver in addition to an actor as Scott. Both were in the Screen Actors Guild, which mandates a minimum pay scale that the Renaissance partners couldn't meet. So the two took different names. Teresa Sithworth became uh, Teresa Tilly. Then Sarah York. The Manicor became Hal Dierick since his two roommates at the time were Hal and Dell. The subterfuge <laughs> didn't work, though, because the two were spotted by the SAG and fined. Bruce said that uh, in Detroit, SAG members are famous for ratting each other out. So uh, there you go. But oh, wow. uh, yeah, so that, that that not only did they get hit physically and mentally on set, but also financially. <laughs> so this is rough, rough production for everyone involved. I would say. Oh so, my god! I, yeah. I may have missed this, but I, I, I did you say how she got the name Sarah York? I did not. No, no. She said I, in an interview somewhere said she always liked the name Sarah and she always wanted to go to New York. Oh, that's there you go. <laughs> we did it. Wolfram name was Sarah New York. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, I will say she gets one of the best lines. I mean, that, the you know what happened to her eyes is, is just great. That's oh. Oscar caliber. Oh, yeah. That whole that whole speech that she gives. Oof. When, well, I also uh, when she gets pulled out of the flames, and oh, she yeah. what she say? Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I, I don't know how much longer. Oh God, it's just, yeah, it just I don't keeps know going what I would have done if I had remained on those hot coals, burning my pretty flesh. You have pretty skin. Give it to us. Terrifying. Mac, also, something else. What is the yeah. line that you noticed that she says to Scott that you didn't notice really, before? I could never really make out what she said. I thought she was screaming when Scotty is axing her, but I, I, I caught it, and then on upon a rewatch, put the subtitles on, and she's saying. No, you love her, the Scotty, as he's taking the axe to her, saying, no, you will not let her die. Oh, my God. Isn't that 
Disturbing. <laughs> I never got that before. So disturbing. She yeah, gets that, she gets fucked like beyond belief, like in terms of fucked up beyond belief, like in this, like the I feel like with her body, she probably gets it the worst out of everyone. Yeah, almost sure. <laughs> like I mean, dismembered, melted, burned, uh, scarred. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Well, think about that scene when she gets stabbed in the back. That that scream that just goes on and on and on is is just oh I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it to be honest with you. I'm I've been reading some stuff on the fake shemp thing. Okay, let's where, talk about because Mac, I think you said that you more or less have where all the fake shemps appear in this movie. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I'm referencing Book of the Dead. And sorry, hold on a second. We need, we need to talk about the origin of the name fake shemps. By the way. Um, I can give a brief history. In the Raimipedia? Yeah, the Raimipedia here. So uh, back in the old days of the Three Stooges, there was a, th- there was a stooge named Shimp. Now, Vanderbilt, you, I feel like you might know more about this, but I believe the real actor was either too sick or passed away. I believe he passed away. But they had a contract to make another movie. He was Moe's brother. Yeah. And they had already, well, because the Three Stooges would shoot a bunch of shorts at a time. So yep. they had to use a stand-in for four shorts. So what they would do for these stand-ins, though, for the fake shimp, as it were, they would have Curly and Mo on one side, and in the in the center would be shimp, quote-unquote, some stand-in, and his back would be to the camera. Right, exactly. These are all, like, on YouTube. You can find instances of this. So basically, these are the stand-ins, and that's why these the different people who play the, the Deadites in all these movies are called uh, fake shimps. So, Mac, go ahead. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of this sequence when Shelley's being killed or attacking multiple people played that character. And you can mm. tell, cause you know, like we said, like the face keeps changing everything, but the Dorothy Tapper, Rob Tapper in a wig at one point, mm. I think some of the limbs, when you just see the limbs is Cheryl Guthridge. So it, it's kind of like a smattering of people, but um, not to take anything away. It sounds from like act, a splattering but, of people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No joke. Yeah. It's just, I mean, and you had to do that. Like you said, you know, they're out there. They, they had to go reshoot a ton of stuff in someone's basement. You know? I'll, I'll say lucky for them, like with all the monster makeup, it, unless you knew that, it would be very hard to tell. Oh, oh yeah. especially oh, yeah. in that year, old film stock, you know, it's, yeah. it's tough. And, and stuff's coming at you so fast, you know, you're not looking for it necessarily. So, Well, it's also just such a crude, I mean, the crudeness is what makes the movie so, you know, fun and spirited. Yep. And like the... Yeah. And I think just seeing the different sizes and you know, the wigs and stuff, I think it just adds to the horror of it all. Like, oh my God, their bodies are just decomposing before our eyes. I think that's, in a way, it's, it's one of my favorite things that happens in pop culture is just when like happenstance and chaos just create this beautiful creation. And I, and I love it. I love when that happens, when, when errors or anomalies just kind of add to the mix. You know, yeah, it's like fun. I said, it's, it's, there's a charm to it all, you know? When you get like the the first sighting of the the blood and milk spewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like which becomes like the dead eye blood and um, I don't know. It's, well, I saw I, uh, I seen an interview. I think it might have been with Eli Roth. It was on that docu uh, that documentary where they talked about if they had had the money to do proper special effects, it would be like the scariest movie ever made. And I'm thinking, you know what? Actually, it's the low budgetness of it that makes it feel real. I agree. Yeah. I think, I mean, if they had like exorcist money, would it have been any better? I can't say for sure, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that is how it it's would a di- play it's out. A, it's a totally different experience. 
It might be great, it might not be great, I, it, but it's definitely a different experience in which it's you're also watching. it's also just a credit to Sam Raimi. I mean, like they they talk about. I had a lot of notes about the endurance of the whole movie experience itself, and every. I mean, there's a lot of Rashomon to mm-hmm. borrow from your saying Vanderbilt, and that you know, differing perspectives and opinions, but everyone agreed that Raimi was just on another level. Like everyone was exhausted after the 20 hour days, but Raimi just kept going and he wouldn't give up. And he had, they said that every, that obsession and that, that the, the toolbox that he had in his, in his head of all the tricks that he's learned, all the tricks that he was going to put to paper, all the, 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 the magic, you know, that he had learned from different movies and different things. He just was pulling them out of his pocket every minute. And that's what got him out of this because they would come up with these hurdles and he would find solutions with ease and that was well i mean there were a lot of hurdles obviously casting was important and who are the two local fishermen at the beginning of the movie who are waving at the car tapper and and rob tapper i believe sam ramey and producer robert tapper i'm not honking at you Um, i'm not honking at you (laughs) also if you look at the deleted scenes there's actually somebody on that car i'm sure unsafely on the top of that car (laughs) as it's driving by the way who's like tapping it oh my god it's all on youtube folks Something I learned I did not know. You know who plays the voice of the archaeologist, or, you know, Dr. Doby, whatever Dolman is. I don't know this one. Yeah. It's Bob Dorian, who was the former voice for American uh, movie classics, AMC. Right. Who, would cool. introduce, who would introduce the movies. Oh. He was kind of the guy before, you know, Robert Osborne did it for TCM years later. He would or introduce ben, all the movies I on think TCM. Ben Mankiewicz does it now, right? Ben Mankiewicz does it now. He was the guy for AMC, so you would hear his voice all the time, like, coming up next, Fred McMurray, <laughs> and, you know, da 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 And I think it's he was a very in, theatrical. It's a great voice. He was it's in a New very York. good voice. He was in New York, and they grabbed him. Good. Once again, happy circumstances. You yeah. Know? Great voice. Something, great something voice. that cracked me up on this rewatch as well during the, when you're listening to the audio tape is how much he gets into the chant. Like he's like, Kondo. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, all I can picture is him sitting alone. Kondo. Maybe Henrietta's there. And he's just like getting really into this chanting of the recite, rec- ah, recitation of the passages. I always get tickled with the, the idea that like, if it was Nobi's cabin and he didn't rent it out from anyone that he's like a Hills have eyes fan or something. <laughs> it's like, there's this poster down <laughs> yeah. in the basement. Like, well, what? maybe, maybe his daughter was. A yeah, fan that's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's we'll right, find out. Right. <laughs> you know, we'll never know. Don't say it again because we will have a prequel for like set in 1977. Uh, what happened to Professor Noby? We know what happened to Professor well, Noby. I mean, I guess we'll mention it as long as that the Hills Has Eyes poster is a reference to Wes Craven having a Jaws mm-hmm. poster in the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. And of course, it was paid homage to again because in A Nightmare on Elm Street, what is Nancy watching our TV? Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Very nice. Well, little Halloweenies Dominion. Once again, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, listen. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, you three, but uh, I'll tell you, life is hard and dangerous, and sometimes you just gotta chop off somebody's head to survive. We are eating a giant shit sandwich right now. Will you go down here for a minute while I try and unfuck the situation? I got it. Go. All right. So this is best kill. So if we really look at this movie, <sighs> this is hard. we see get killed. There are th- four people ultimately that get killed that we see. I gotta start this off. It's gotta be Shelley for me. You, I can list off why. Why? How about yeah, this? Go for it. That scene when she's getting her hand sh- sawed off 
by Scotty. And she says, if that's not bad enough, she's like, fuck this. I'm going to chew off the rest of my hand. (laughs) Then she gets stabbed in the back. And she has that 30-second just painful guttural from hell scream, which is disturbing shit. Then she falls to the ground and starts spitting up all that gross-ass milk plus blood. Then she gets chopped to death, and we're seeing like the axe digging into her shins and everything else. That's the one for me. That is absolutely horrifying, and 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 what a great ta- what a great table setting for the rest of the movie. Uh, what about you, Mac? What about, what's your favorite kill, as it were? I have to agree. I think it's Shelley. If only for that blood curling, like twenty second scream that just does not. It's relentless, and you're just like, wow, this is. We are not pulling our punches here with that sequence it is just brutal is that when they is it scotty or is it shelly when he like he pulls the thing out and then the blood starts spewing from oh that's okay that's scotty yeah yeah. i I just started cackling last night last night when that was happening i was like this is insane like a fountain (laughs) so ridiculous well well, okay rafin what about you I, you know, I go back and forth between Shelly and Cheryl. I, I think Cheryl, in terms of what she endures and has to go through, and then you just see like the, deco- the decomposing thing, and she looks almost like, I don't know, Donovan at the end of Last Crusade, just like, just like, oh, oh yeah, you know, wilted. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, it, it's, kind of, it, it's kind of crazy to think of her trajectory, you know, from being this artsy, you know, quiet girl in the backseat to like the it, so I, I kind of want to go with Cheryl but yeah sure Shelly just goes to the fucking ringer it's pretty bad like it's got to be between those two mm. oh, what about well, you let's just say, sorry go ahead oh, I was gonna say I mean all the melting stuff at the end and I don't know if that goes to Cheryl or Scotty but it's just enough to mention Tom Sullivan who oh, we'll get to him in another section don't worry yeah, the the MVP of it all that all that melting at the end is 100% memorable because the movie does move so deliberately. And then it's, what do I want to say? What's the word? It doesn't stop. It's like a freight train for the rest of it. And it comes to a very satisfying conclusion. You know, what's really strange is that a lot of that claymation stuff, which is obviously stop motion was edited on USA. I don't know why. Like the hand bursting out, of the bodies at the end. Like we yeah. all know that's not a real human being. Why can't we show it? Censors <laughs> it, it, well, were very strange back then. I don't know what this deal was. Still are. That was my thing <laughs> like, with the censorship of, of it was, I think some, so much of it was just shown because it was so cheaply done. I think people just didn't think it was scary, but I was like, <laughs> as a kid, I was frightened to death. Well, there was a 100%. lot of blood shown on USA, but for some reason they never showed them spewing out the white milk. They never showed that. Dang, they would always cut weird. away. I, I don't get it. I, anyway. They might have thought it was cum. That's, that's what it was. I guarantee it. Blood oh, flood. Cum da. Blood flood. The blood flood. So honorable mention when Scotty gets the thumbs through the eyes is absolutely. Oh, that's so, well, watch. that's the thing. Because then right after it, it's the, 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 the thing that spews all the blood from his side, I think, too. Yes. Which um, a lot of people just, thinks is his penis. Like that's no, a common myth. No, it's, it's a piece but of wood. A common misconception, I guess, according to the commentaries, that people it's definitely think misconception. That he, that's yeah. yeah. The people are the seeing way things. it's positioned. It, it, it's very confusing. I remember thinking about that when we were kids. Well, I can tell you right now, unless your penis is sticking out the side of your ribs, I don't know. I know. What to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to be fair, that might be a condition for some. So I'd like to retract that. Statement. Just apologize. That is true. That is true. Say you're sorry. Um, I apologize out there. Okay. <laughs> Vanderbilt, I know you've been jonesing 
to get to this next section because you want to talk about your boy Tom Sullivan. And, you know, we really, this is season five. And we're trying to come up with some creative names. So, we you know, I think we've done a good job so far with, you know, why she keep making these horrible noises and Professor Noby's study. So for this next section for special effects, you know, we, we kind of always did that, that, that uh, quip from Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, where he's playing a video game and says all that stuff. But we decided to change it up this time. So this, this special effects category for Evil Dead season is great graphics. What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> what an asshole. It's such a, such a Conan bit. Like, if you thought it. we were going to get rid of that, oh, you, never. you must think that, that penises grew up the, on somebody's rib cage or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Vanderbilt, let's speak on him. Well, real quick, this will be brief. Yeah. Very strange career for Tom Sullivan because he really didn't has not done a lot. He did the original Evil Dead trilogy. He did even within the woods. And he worked on the Fly 2. Oh, which does I, have some pretty great I was going to say uh, yeah. effects, so not too. bad. I just he's like the John Cazal of his life of, of, oh. his, uh, of his makeup <laughs> except I think he's still alive like Tom yeah, Sullivan time. I mean Rob Tapert and Tom Sullivan I mean I guess Rob Tapert's more the true unsung hero next to Erwin Shapiro but when you look at Tom Sullivan and what he did on this movie how this is you know when low budget movies like everybody does a little bit of everything right Bruce mm-hmm. Campbell was doing some special effects work Ramey did a little bit of acting but Tom Sullivan like with his special effects and the production design and everything I think really the Maybe the, I mean, yes, you got to, you can't discredit Raimi's visual panache with all the camera movements and his direction, but Tom Sullivan really created this world mm-hmm. and it's inventive and on, you know, basically no money at all in his parents' basement. I think that's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's no rules, right? It's just bad things happen to these demons and these demons do bad things. Go for it. Make it look they cool. They can spew out white milk. They can sit, you know, they can do whatever they want. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, honestly, we've been talking about it for the last two hours. I'm not sure how much we can add to this, but. Right, just is, to, I mean, you have to, you have to give, you have to put respect on his name. Tom oh, totally. and, he, so he created, Rock, the, he created about, a book of a bit dead. He created a Canarian a dagger. dagger. I believe he still owns both of them and maybe Oof. trots them out to conventions once in a while. But they're very hard to get a hold of and see. Well, what, what were some of the items that were used to come up with some of these effects? We talked about earlier how, how Ramey talked about the caro syrup and whatnot. And I think especially near the end there when they're decomposing in that stop motion, there's like some like, not chowder, but like mashed potatoes yeah, and some it's other disgusting. food elements, right? Which would make me vomit if I read them all out. Yeah. yeah. But they're, again, it's just like, let's get some canned food and just throw it out here. And it kind of has a surreal look because it does look like it's food, even though it's supposed to be you know, demon flesh or human flesh decomposing. But the, well, that, the stop motion stuff for a movie that's just inexpensive, we're often like, talk about like Linda's leg when, when Ash is investigating it and that the spider web thing. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of that, I mean, that stuff was like stop motion, but I mean, Betsy Baker went through a fucking like hell too. I mean, she, she talks about their, you know, they talk about like the plaster that they put on her for her face. Cause you know, like the characters are dismembered. So you have to make the molds. Mm-hmm. And so when they were, pouring the, the the plaster paris on on like her vaseline coated skin what happened was is that it heats up when it's on you 
And so when it was on her, her whole head was coated with it because they had to make the, the head mold. And so they just had, you can't hear her talk either or see. So they just mm-hmm. had her jotting notes on a pad of paper. And when Campbell talks about this in his book, he's like, she would, she would jot down like getting very warm, how much longer? And then the scrawls soon became more urgent, like getting very lightheaded, must get out soon. And oh. then eventually they, uh, when they finally, you know, took her out of the, the plaster pair, all her eyelashes were ripped off mm. onto the thing. So it's just like things like that you read about and you're just like, fuck, no wonder everyone looks like they're losing their minds on the, on the screen. Well, again, it's pure amateur hour for the most part. Like, oh, I guess we can do this. Is how you do plaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah seriously. No union people on set. I read I'm about sure this. saying, Oh, this is how you do it. I read about this in famous monsters. Oh God. A nightmare. I read that when, within the woods, when they did the makeup for, Bruce Campbell, like at one point they needed shots of him the next day. So he, they just said, just sleep in the makeup. It's too hard to take off. Yeah. And finally, finally, when they did take it off, his face had like morphed to the way the makeup was. It, oh. took, for, it took like days for it to it reset to is, normal. It is amazing that nobody was permanently deformed no. from this film. <laughs> yeah, and real. even Bruce Campbell, I don't think really lost any teeth until Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Which was right around the corner. <laughs> well, it depends on how you look around the corner. He talks about how, because, uh, you know, after each night, they'd get on the back of a, like a pickup truck and he would look like a mass murderer. So he says that on like one of the Sunday mornings, they passed like a, a bunch of families going to church and he just kind of smiled and waved like nothing was wrong. <laughs> and he's just like covered in fucking blood and mayhem and guts. But he said that the only way to really get it off was to kind of sit there in the shower for like an hour and like just let the hot water take off all the caro syrup and just let it melt off. Because it's kind of pleasant, actually. Oh, yeah, it's not too bad. I if imagine that's probably the highlight. Yeah, I'm sure they really had hot water there at that point either. But he talks about how the shirt that they used, they used it, they just kind of left it there and eventually they had to get a new shirt and coat it up with blood because it just turned into like, it just shattered into pieces. <laughs> yeah. It was just hardened to that point. Yeah, I read about that too. Like fucking crazy. But the, there's some other like really cool things that they, they managed to, to pull off that got lucky. So the Tennessee road department gave them permission to do whatever they wanted with it, like a nearby abandoned bridge. Mm-hmm. And that's how they were able to make that, you know, kind of have it curl up and look like clutch fingers. So it's uh, kind of interesting how, um, you know, they got lucky on that. So they had a winch cable that was like looped around one side of the bridge to bend the little finger. But unbeknownst to anyone, the cable was also around a large tree branch and it snapped Ugh. when the tension was applied to it and it slammed in, in the, the, the branch like slammed into Sam Raimi. So it's surprising that, you know, Raimi didn't die on the set of this movie also. So it's just... Something to be said for being young and virile and able to snap back from that stuff, right? If these guys yeah. were in their thirties and forties, we never would have, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> There'd be too much life behind. Be like, what are we doing to ourselves? Yeah, no. Well, great it's, job, it's crazy. Mr. Sullivan. Tremendous job on the effects with with especially with the money that they had and how memorable so many scenes are. So many. It's not like it's just just it all leads up to one scene. No, there's several scenes with these effects that are just still disturbing to this day, despite being able to peel back the curtain. The quote from. Wizard of Oz, which, of course, Sam Raimi would later do a prequel to called Oz the Great and Powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we talked about earlier on the specific car, but I do think it's time to take another spin in the Delta to give our final thoughts. What the hell was that? Are you trying to kill us? Hey, don't blame me. Just steering wheel. 
damn thing jerked right out of my hand. You gotta understand that I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday, and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back, because the damn thing don't work. The only thing that does work is this lousy horn. Mac, I'll let you uh, kick this off. Well. <laughs> Boy. What if you said no? I, I, I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Mac, did you like the Evil Dead? <laughs> yep. All right. Sure did. Well, you know, to, let that be a lesson to you out there, uh, <laughs> aspiring journalists, podcasters, is you never, ever ask a yes or no question. Less is more. Like Mike said, Evil Dead, was, it was one of those movies that was ours. It wasn't anyone else's when we were growing up. You knew you knew. It was like, you know, leveling up to obscure horrordom <laughs> when all you had was the Freddy's, Jason's, Michael's, etc. It really, truly felt like I was a horror fan after I saw Evil Dead and started getting into this franchise. I, the score is phenomenal. The Deadites are terrifying. Cheryl's easily one of my top five favorite terrifying monsters in horror. And obviously, love Ash. I just love everything to do with it. There isn't a shot that I would change. There isn't a scene or a joke or a line that doesn't it just still all works together in a weird way and it's just you know that's magic so uh for me we're, oh what are we gonna do what, what's the do rating scale for this we're doing chainsaws i think it's the, the easiest way to do it well i'm gonna give it five chainsaws and uh maybe maybe a little um of that blood that milk little carol syrup <laughs> drenched in in that carol syrup yeah nice all right, we got a five star here. We got five bagger, as it were. <laughs> Mike Mike Rothman, you know, uh, horror fans love to talk about gateway horror. You know, they blab on and on about goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark or scary stories to tell in the dark or even hocus pocus, and they're not wrong. But and those are definitely things that got me into this genre. But you know, as I mentioned before, like really the movie that took that obsession to another level is Evil Dead. I mean. I probably said the same thing about Halloween in our first season, but here's the split. And I've been using band metaphors for a lot, so I'm going to keep doing that. Halloween is Nirvana. Evil Dead is the Ramones. Halloween is the movie that gets you into the love of the genre. Evil Dead is the one that gets you up off your ass to make one yourself. And, you know, granted, none of us are Sam Raimi, but the simplicity of the movie, everything we've talked about today, the raw energy, the dirt, the grime, the gore, the performances, the timelessness of the story, it kind of feels like it's all for the taking. And I think that's what drew me back in the 90s. And I... Honestly, I still think that's what drives me in today. And, you know, it's funny. I mentioned, you know, I, I actually didn't mention this, but like they, they buried a time capsule at the end of shooting the movie. Mm. They put it under the, the they put it in the, underneath the cabin and it's probably been taken at this point. But you, know, you think about it, this is the time capsule. It's the portrait of like an underdog story. You know, it's the, probably the best in Hollywood history if you really think about it. And you really can't help but root for every single element of this movie. I mean, we talked about the makeup. We talked about the actors. We talked about Raimi, uh, Taper. I mean, all of them. A- even after like 10, 20, 100 rewatches, I, 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 and I've reached that number for sure, I still am rooting. But even beyond the historical context, I, I mean, this movie is fucking terrifying. And, you know, like, yeah, we laugh when Ash slaps the shit out of Linda sometimes. And like Mac and I, we always quote that scene when Scotty stumbles back in. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times we've said that today. But like, you're lying. Ash, they know. <laughs> they know. But I honestly uh, would be lying if I didn't say that those moments still like get under my skin. And and I think that's the beauty of this movie. I mean, to borrow from Creep Show's tagline, it's the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Mm. But really, that's the Evil Dead formula in a nutshell. And that's why I think, among other reasons, I've said today that uh, not only just one of my favorite horror films, but one of my favorite movies altogether. 
So no surprise, I'm just echoing Mac right here. It's five chainsaws. And yeah, I'm going to throw in a, a, a gallon of Caro syrup. A gallon? I, I, I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. And I, I think now after being able to do Halloween and Evil Dead, I, uh, the bar is set. <laughs> There's no going over it. Like, this is it. I mean, this, these are my two favorites. So Well, season six is going to be the Conjuring universe, Mike. So yeah, that'll be true. Temper yeah. your expectations. Well, we already covered the Conjuring, so there you go. But no, oh my I, God, cleared, you're right. But, but clear two hours, two and a half hours for Conjuring 2. And two. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then four more for Conjuring 3. But yeah, I love this movie. Awesome. So we got two five chainsaws so far. Vanderbilt, will you be the third? Shit movie. No chainsaws. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> no, no. That's the Hollywood Squares answer. So you give the funny answer first and the real I've answer I've always said second. you were the Paul Lind of I'll, Halloweenies. Oh, for the 80s kids, the Jim J. Bullock of Halloweenies. <laughs> Shadow Steve. That makes you the Shadow, Shadow Stevens. <laughs> the Evil Dead has everything I need in a horror picture. Got an attractive cast, imagination, impressive effects, atmosphere, memorable scares, and perhaps most importantly, and rarely done right, that transgressive quality. The idea that if you were watching this movie on home video in 1983, you might believe that someone may have actually been killed during the making of this film, and that the filmmakers might honestly be psychopaths. The Exorcist and The Nightmare on Elm Street both share this quality. Conversely, when you learn who the filmmakers are, The Evil Dead is inspiring. A cohort of idealistic high school friends and college dropouts who made their masterpiece in spite of the odds and succeeded more than they ever could have imagined. A real-life case of local boys making good and continuing to make good. Uh, that's textbook Midwest and Nasty at work. In a perfect world, Bob Dorian would be have introduced this on the old AMC because The Evil Dead is one of the great American movies. I think the three of you, I echo everything you say. I Oh, sorry, Vanderbilt. My God, how many chainsaws? Five. <laughs> what Five? if he said three? He said two and a half. <laughs> like, um, and a half. like after that, like all right. With the great American movie classics, three and a half four stars out of five. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to five. Nothing gets five stars. That's right. Nothing except for sleep waking. It's like that except stupid, you know, that stupid teacher mentality. Well, you know, it's not perfect. Nothing, nothing gets. An get, a nothing's an A plus. Yeah, enough. get the fuck but out of here. I say that. <laughs> this is an A. This is an A plus. This is, and I agree, this is an A, A plus, and and I guess the plus would be like those little makeshift uh, crosses that they put. As a tombs, as a, on the graves, of, and they took of, him out of the poster. People, yeah, they took him out of the poster. Well, we don't want to upset anybody. This <laughs> yeah, movie the evil dead people. never upset anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. Say, this movie, but this movie does upset many people, and it still upsets me to this very day. I think you know, the older you get, and the more and more movies you watch, and this is for better or worse, it gets to the point, especially when you're rewatching these movies, that you 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 go beyond just being a fan, at least for me, and you just start thinking about every shot. And like the filmmaking itself, and how it, and how it came to be, and how they managed to land a laugh. Did they cut here too early? These things can be impediments to enjoying a movie, but or they can also really enhance the experience. And so I think as the years have gone on, when you read all the behind the scenes, and we went over the history in our first episode, the odds to overcome all those odds and have the movie work as well as it does. Rothman, you said something about this maybe being one of the, one of the greatest underdog movies ever is that yeah underdog stories you, for sure like yeah. dollar for dollar you can make this is like the best dollar for dollar movie ever made if you look at the dollars that were spent <laughs> yeah. on this and the outcome compared to other movies of this budget and their outcomes we're not talking about a lot of those movies today due to inflation of course this is still the diamond entry for me of the franchise i, I love this franchise but this is still five chainsaws out of five 
I, I just watched it the other day to do notes. I could honestly put it on again tomorrow. And it, and it, and it fulfilled Bruce Campbell's mission statement. Vanderbilt, if you don't have that ready, that's fine. I won't put you on the spot. But what is it he said about, uh, or maybe it was Rothman, you said about what they, what they gleaned from those horror movies that they were watching is that they just wanted to make them fast and gory as, as possible. Just rip through it. There's no dead space, no pun intended, in this movie. It moves. It moves as quick as the cars going over the bridge, as the demon going over the bog, as the, the swing b- bouncing into the cabin. There's always something moving in this movie. And it is one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Five out of five chainsaws. So that's a perfect score. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that I think Caffrey would probably give this a five out of five. Oh, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So we're all in agreement. Decent movie. <laughs> uh, well, we did it, folks. We, we went through. Can I tell? The, I have one little story to tell. Of course. There's gonna, no way we could possibly end it yet. I know because I needed it because there's a guy who used to come in to Philly's right-headed bar. And mm. he'd seen every movie, every horror movie. Um, I think he ended up moving to Michigan, actually. But the one movie he never saw, one of the movies he never saw all the way through was The Evil Dead, Mm. because he was watching it at home one day, and he heard a big crash, and, like, all the glass in his bathroom was broken. Like, it had just shattered. And he took the tape out of the VCR and had never watched it to that. Ooh, that's creepy. That is creepy, though. Yeah. Was Michael Myers in the bathroom? Halloween was there, yeah. Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Great reference. You can't well, deal with this movie. Evil Dead is the Evil Dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. True. You should just you should have told them. Well, it's, I got good news for you. You can watch it on HBO Max now. You don't have to worry <laughs> about your video, your VHS anymore. <laughs> it's out there uh, forever. All right. Well, this has been a, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this whole season we got ahead. I really do love these movies a lot and everything affiliated with them. The more once we find out more information about Evil Dead Rise, you know, when we get those that inevitable trailer and some other information. Rest assured, there will be bonus episodes throughout the year. Uh, real quick, Mike Vanderbilt, you want to plug your your other two podcasts you've got going right now? Uh, so you can check me out at Windy City Double Feature Pictures Show, where we take uh, we look back at double features that played around the Chicagoland area and the theaters that showed them. You can also check me out on Centerfold, revealing culture through Playboy Magazine with my girl Tafetta, and catch me at Rock Island Public House most weekends. Uh, you can come visit Chicago's best bartender. Great, Mark. Chicago Reader. Matt Gerber, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at Wolfman underscore Mac underscore Gerber. And also here on the Halloweenies and Losers Club, we've got the rental of the Changeling coming up (laughs) uh, at the end of the month. And Mike's, I believe, leading that one. That's Mike Rothman, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure is going to be a very fun episode. Also, and, and I'm not wrong with this, right? We we did do the commentary for Evil Dead already. <laughs> we did. We have. Yeah. So if you're a Patreon you know. member or you want to be a Patreon member, uh, join that and you can listen to us talk about the Evil Dead on the aisle where we really go shot by shot and give you a lot more information that we didn't give you here, actually, because you it's can much believe more it. specific, much more specific to the actual shots and scenes and scares of the film. Yeah, Mac, that's patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod for all of our commentaries, including, like Mac mentioned, the Evil Dead as well as other non-franchise horror movies that we've we've covered, or movies from franchises that we're probably not going to spend a whole year on. We've, we're trying to cover in there as well. <laughs> Mike Rothman, where else can we find ye? 
Uh, well, you can find me at uh, at Michael Rothman on Twitter if you want to see some fun retweets and some really sarcastic takes, particularly about anything that's popular in pop culture at the moment. You can also find me, you know, we're over at the Losers Club. We're going to be doing uh, right now that this episode out. It's Dreamcatcher or the book episode will be out, but the film episode uh, will be kicking off April where we're going to be talking a lot of movies. We got the Dead Zone uh, Long Watch with Gretchen Felker Marker. We're going to be uh, talking about another episode. We're going to be two movies in our Patreon. I don't know which yet, but uh, we're also going to be doing the book on Black House, which is a long one. Busy month. It's uh, the, It'll be a nice reprieve to, to go back to the cabin for Evil Dead 2 from yeah. over here in Halloween. So, Absolutely. Know. Busy month, uh, busy year ahead, but always always a lot of fun with, with you boys and all the great guests that we get throughout the year. You know, the next episode is, at this point, for the main feed, at least in terms of Evil Dead, is a month away. But around this time in April, we are all hoping that you will join us. Join, join us. us. another bloody disgusting podcast congratulations if you like our programming consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts such as creepy horror queers the boo crew scp archives nightlight margaret's garden nightmare on film street and more <laughs>